This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah. And this is The Beirut Banyan. strange for me because it's almost like I know you by now yeah. <laughs> I mean um, we've spoken several times I think uh-huh. uh, at least three times if not more yeah twice on yours once on mine well there you go and this is yeah. our lucky number four <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't think number four is ever lucky but let's just call it lucky number four we and can go with it I, what I like is that we've never seen each other uh-huh. uh, we've never met in person and uh-huh. we've only spoken through audio we never sort of video chat. We're not no. that close. <laughs> but but it's as if I know you so well by now that the moment you showed up, it's like, yeah, it's Joey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's quite comfortable, actually. I, ha- I had the same thing with uh, Lena Munzer. I had her twice on the podcast. Right, we, yeah. We never actually met. That's uh, just what it, I mean, we probably were like, you know, tear gas next to one another at some point. That's like, statistically speaking, that probably happened. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And actually, I, so I listened to both of your episodes with Lina Monza uh-huh, and uh-huh. yeah, you can feel it that there's sort of like a, there's more than a friendship by now. And yeah. yet, and I think this is something very odd. It's that we can get very yeah. close to each other without actually knowing each other, at least uh, the way we used to know each other. So there's something sure. about this medium that is special. And but, the moment. And the moment, yeah. That might be the only yeah. silver lining to this otherwise depressing, <laughs> very tragic uh, chapter. <sighs> yeah. I'm going to say right now that uh, I'm glad, see, you're by now you're somebody who literally, I think we can message each other if we want to vent, and we sort of make room to vent. And sure, I'm really yeah. happy that uh, that you got in touch this time and, and wanted to My sort pleasure. of uh, reflect on uh, on what we're going through, maybe on our separate conversations that we've had with others, and maybe just in terms of trying to make sense of the tragedy. Mm. Um, so for that reason, I guess it's nice that we haven't structured anything. We're just going to let things uh, come out. And Joey, yeah. I'm going to give you the floor because okay. um, I've spoken too much the last, <laughs> uh, the last week. I've, I've been trying to release episodes every day. And uh, I'm going to turn to you now to sort of maybe steer the conversation. And we can also talk about, you know, the blast and the aftermath of the blast. But just in terms of the scene on the streets and the politics that might be changing for the better, could be politics as usual as well. Maybe it's too early. So let's start there and sort of, uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, well, on Saturday we had the, the large protests. They were the largest, uh, well, since the largest, since October, November. Yeah. Or in some ways, that I was more in my element on Saturday than I was on Tuesday. So, like, when, when the explosion happened, obviously. I've, I've 
quote-unquote dealt with a number of uh, disasters and catastrophes and atrocities and whatnot over the years, especially when it comes to Syria. Um, but there was always the advantage of the fact that I'm not Syrian. And so I've never been to Syria. Uh, my, my first time that I wanted to visit was, well, 2011, which wasn't exactly the best year. Um, so that didn't happen. And so the friends that I made, though, it, all, it still allowed a sort of distance, uh, a certain way, an emotional distance. My, I, I was emotionally invested in my friends, but I was able to relate their stories with some kind of detachment, which facilitated the telling of the story in some, in some cases in the, in the context of journalism. With this uh, blast, uh, like all of that was thrown out of the window. I wasn't able to do anything for... I recorded the episode with Lena Munzer on Friday, I think, so three days after. Uh, and honestly, I needed to talk to her as much as I needed to just make have an episode, just kind of like have something that I know in 10 years would still be relevant, hopefully, yeah. like just the moment recorded, because the emotional side of it is something that is very difficult to describe. And in some ways, you sort of need it raw. And you need it with all of the, you know, ums and oof and all of the <laughs> noise in a sense that you might edit out in an episode sometimes. But this this really felt like it's just recording it as it is. It's what it is. And that's yeah. it. And that's, that's what we did. Saturday, so uh, this weekend, the big protests, I was more in my element because I've covered them before. And I've covered them from the ground. So as a protester slash media activist slash whatever I would be called. Uh, or sometimes even when I was in Lebanon, I couldn't attend the protest. I would basically do exactly what I did this Saturday. So it's the same medium. There's only one hour difference. So it didn't really feel that far away. Obviously, if you're right. physically in Lebanon, it's still different. Uh, but there was once I had to... Uh, like help out a friend at his in his place like elsewhere in Lebanon and protests were happening in Beirut and I was still kind of doing this thing on Twitter like just updating so it was the same process um, in some ways it connected me a bit more I felt uh, a, a actually a sense of pride that I usually don't feel and it's not a nationalistic pride I hate those um, it's not my thing whatsoever it's just a a a comfort of knowing that the thing that you experienced is reflected in other people, like that they have also yeah. experienced it. Not the horror necessarily, because I didn't experience it, I'm not in Lebanon, the, the explosion, but the reactions to it, that the anger was really what it was, that I wasn't, because I'm here with, I just have a couple of Lebanese friends who are here, the rest of the people I know are sort of like from everywhere around the world, I'm talking of the face-to-face -face people right. uh, in Geneva. And so it's not the same. I mean, they are also invested. They've been there most of the uh, time. It's not the same. And I needed to see other people be as angry as I was. And even angrier because, like, I couldn't throw anything. You know, there's nothing <laughs> to throw out here. You know, there's, I, I had, as, as, they, as we say. Yeah. And so that there was an element of Saturday that was a bit cathartic. But at the same time, I sort of, um, like, I... I I paused myself a little bit, or I told myself that like the catharsis, catharsis is that the word? That it's not enough. Like it's not enough to just feel good and no fashion That yeah. we just let it out today. Yeah. That what happened on Tuesday, the fourth of August, is permanent. Like there's no. We said this before. We said there's no going back before. If we seriously don't mean it this time, it means nothing. 
what happened one week ago, literally uh, like what three hours ago or something, well, because it's at yeah. six or eight p.m. Right. as we right. all know now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It it's it's something that. We can't even joke with it. We cannot play with this. We cannot even risk anything. I just heard that there are explosive in zoo, in the mountain yes. of zoo that yes. they're looking into, and I was like, "What the? F Sorry, can we can we swear?" Please do, Joey. Okay, it was like, like what the fuck? Like, you know, I, we're really if if we're seriously telling me that this is what we need to think about one week after this happened. Yeah. Like it, it's reaching a level of grotesqueness that. Um, Whatever I say, it just means that they can also be worse. Like they can actually push it further. That we know that they can. That they ha they are actual warlords. They have done worse than what happened last Tuesday because it was quote unquote an accident. They didn't do it directly. So right. Speak. Right. Yeah. They have done worse directly. We know this. Everyone knows this. So I think the anger can go in different ways. Some of which might be more productive. Other might be less productive. I don't know. But I'm very wary of policing that anger. I think the anger is super legitimate, and I think that people who are angry need to be heard for what they're for what they're doing and what they're saying. And we shouldn't be. I'm always wary of people who are kind of like on Twitter, which you know, I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just kind of like analyzing this to death, essentially. Yeah. And it's almost like we're proposing solutions as if everyone is on the streets right now checking out Twitter timeline, <laughs> which is obviously not what's happening. Right. But there is this sense, you know, Twitter can kind of boost narcissistic tendencies in some ways. Well said. And so, yeah, <laughs> this is where we are now. This is where we are now. It's a very bad situation. There's no, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no, um, you know, uh, whatever uphill battle we're facing, it's a steep one. It's something that I, I would never say there's no hope or anything like this, because for me, that's as useless uh, as to say that everything is fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, things are not good. Like things aren't good. There's no, there's no lying about this. In a, in a, I mean, it's almost like a parallel universe. I, um, that that kind of feeling you had, detached, because by just sheer geography, you're in Switzerland. Uh huh. I mean, yeah, it's night and day, I guess, compared to what's happening right now in Beirut. I, I'm in New York. I mean, New York has its issues. There's just nothing that can compare to what Beirut is going through. And I felt the same thing. Um, and I tried doing something similar. And you mentioned that you're, uh, you didn't edit. It's just sort of a raw capturing the moment. I think yours came out 100 times better than my attempt because I tried <laughs> a live episode where the audio was so poor. And I, oh. I recorded uh, with six guests in, in a span of three hours. Wow. And I think that's okay. I think it's permissible because uh, the the last I I, would, I think it's now five or six episodes that I've released have just been donations focused, and I try to sort of emphasize that there's really not much else that can be done right now if you're away from Lebanon, if you're unable to actually physically contribute. So whether it's mm -hmm. cleaning the rubble or whether it's just participating in these demonstrations or whatever, if you're away, I, I don't see any other sort of uh, productive avenue short of which mm. is what you were saying sharing your thoughts online and, and Twitter and the like but you're right there is that narcissistic tendency and I, I just couldn't see any other avenue other than trying to raise money and mm -hmm. I think that's okay you can kind of Absolutely. Uh, let a few Absolutely. episodes quality the editing the arms those that's things fine. they can slide and uh, uh, there you go <laughs> another um.
and there's something else that happened to me, which I, I, you're, you just eloquently described it. It's that uh, I mean, you, you want to you want to let it out, mm -hmm. and uh, as much as you try letting it out, I think um, something like this cannot be removed from your system. I think it's permanent. I think it's just permanent yeah. damage. I agree. And it's I, agree. I mean, I from my side. You've experienced this just by the sheer fact that you've lived in Lebanon. We've, mm -hmm. we've all had episodes where there's an explosion. Yes. All of us have experienced this. Yes. All of us have been close enough or maybe sort of we heard it or we ran away from something that was happening. So explosions are not, are not special to Beirut. Mm -hmm. But this is special because it's not, I mean, it's, it's even the word explosion I think has uh, in Beirut has a different meaning. You know, in yeah. that in the immediate aftermath, a lot of people were sort of trying to link it to the tribunal's verdict. So we go there yes, right yes, away. Yes, yes, yes. It's like an automatic that's assumption. What, yeah, and that's that how it was is. my that that was my. I mean, it's a rational assumption. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. Uh, like the the timing is is fucked. Like this is insane timing. Uh, exactly. All things considered, yeah. Uh, it just so happens that I'm sure lots of people are still in that conspiracy mindset anyway, regardless of what we say. People were but doctoring the, these photos with missiles and all that. Yeah. But the, the, the reality is, is in some ways worse. Yeah, exa it's, exactly. Yeah, actually. It's, we, it's, yeah. it's stupider. <laughs> it's more reckless. It's, yeah. The implications are more disastrous in some ways because yeah. we're not talking about some um, evil hands uh, behind. So, like, it's not like one person wanted to kill one person. Right. Or like a system wanted to kill a, a critical voice or whatnot, which we are quote unquote more used to. And indeed, yeah. like I remember 2005 very clearly. I remember the bombings of 2006 very clearly. Exactly. Yeah. I was near the bomb that killed uh, Gibran Twaini because it's not far from where I live. I was. It was on my birthday that Samir Osir was killed. Yeah. There's all of these. Um, my teens, essentially, you know, like these yeah. uh, were. Uh, and at some point, even I remember, like we were. I was, you know, when Hariri was assassinated, I was 14. So, like, in school, it was more of a, uh, we would joke about these things because we had no real understanding of the severity of what was happening. Exactly. So the joke is that, you know, tomorrow there's no school. That was the, I was 14. We didn't know any, I didn't, I had no idea who any of these people are, who were, yeah. sorry. Like, I, I, it took me, like, 2015, uh, sorry, 2005 was a crash course for me in Lebanese politics. <laughs> and so it's all been downhill ever since. Right. You know? <laughs> so that's, that's great. That's actually quite. Yeah. That's quite telling. Yeah, like your formative years have all been just sort of crashing with the story yeah. as well. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, but there's something. Nine, yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, no, no. Please, please go ahead. No, it's we are going too much into down the rabbit hole. But like, I, I had post, I had po uh, sorry, posted this list on Twitter in May or something uh, because there was some stupid. British tabloid thing. There's a lot of those, and I usually ignore them. But there was one in which like he, he's this guy in his 50s i think or something like this and he was saying something along those lines of like anyone who's like basically millennials like they haven't experienced actual trauma or something as mm. ridiculous yeah. as that and so i just listed them i just listed in should, should be your cv it's I like was, 2005 i, I was nine when israel was kicked out of the south i was yeah. 14 when syria was kicked out i was 15 in 2006 during the war yes. blah 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 and it's like uh, just today, a Palestinian friend on it's on Twitter. People just I just retweeted it. 
she like commented, co-tweeted it basically and said like, unfortunately we have to add another one to the list. Yeah. I'm 29 when this happened. And it's like, I've always kind of wrapped my, uh, tried to understand why uh, everything is so numerical for me. I think in numbers, I yeah. think in dates. And the fact that it's six or eight, hey, it's in my head forever. Like that's never going to go away. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I have this feeling and, you know, time will tell. And, you know, we're saying it and so it's recorded. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a feeling that the symbol of six or eight specifically is going to kind of kind of stick in some way, one way or another. Like these clocks that were broken specifically at six or eight, there's something like, like horrifically symbolic about about the fact that time was stopped in a country where we're haunted by the past, we're haunted by the future, the present is stolen, and then suddenly time is stopped like this. It's like I don't even know. I still haven't found a word to describe it. I've been I've been writing this article for a few days now, and I haven't yet submitted it anything because it feels like an obituary. Like I feel it feels like I am saying goodbye, and that's not what I mean. That I don't want this to be the impression. But there is a raw feeling there. But the advantage of articles is that you do rewrite and edit and stuff. So you want it to be in a certain <laughs> format uh, by the time it's published. Because, you know, I have my own diary. So like the raw format, I write it in my own, in my own journal, in my own diary. Yeah. And what I want to put out to the world, in a sense, is something that someone may find useful today. But I do want someone in five years to also find it useful in one way or another. And so this requires a bit more editing. But anyway, yeah, like... Um, yeah, it's... This, you know, this, this, like, I think a number of things happened and you, you, you just described some of them and I think symbolism is so important. I think it's those first, the first minutes that people were sharing the, the explode, the, the, the mushroom cloud, okay. that, that thing, that sort of image before the, before the explosion, it's before the echo. Uh -huh. Right, just silence. You just see that. Yeah, I think that. Um, I'm trying to relate it to another context. Different stories, different histories, but it doesn't really matter. Americans watching the twin towers sort of blow up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, that kind of we're all watching it at the same time, maybe, or if it's not at the same time, we're watching replays of it over and over and over. It changes things permanently, and I and I think I think this this the way it happened. No, the the reasons it happened I think are maybe part of the story, and those are things that are going to be talked about I think endlessly. That what led to this moment, and we can we'll go into this, um, but I think that's not the bigger story here. I think it's that something that looks like Hiroshima, right? Uh -huh. But it's not. But it looks like Hiroshima. Mm. It so, does. But it just—I mean—that these things don't happen in 2020 unless they're controlled in the desert and pe people know about it on on sort of cable news, maybe, and environmentalists frown upon it. Mm -hmm. But these don't happen in ports in major cities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is like an attack, although it's negligence, and uh, and also that—I mean—the whole world saw it. And it's not just yeah. Beirut that was shocked. The whole world was shocked. Sure. And everyone we know has either had some injury or material damage or, or maybe both. And it's not like this is a, uh, it's not just the port that went. I mean, residential neighborhoods near the port are 
torn to shreds. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's Jamez, Imad, and Chayel, these two neighborhoods that I only think about in terms of uh, that's really what's escaped <laughs> a lot of the pain of whether it's yes. the civil war yes, 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 or yes, even, yes. even these assassinations, most of them did not happen in those kinds of places. So they, they were spared and it becomes associated with maybe a younger, more, more, uh, it's almost like you can you can wander around Madam Khayel at night and you don't know if you're in Nice or in Marseille or in Istanbul or in Beirut. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. kind of uh, lifestyle, sure, if yeah, you will, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was shattered. I think that adds to it too. And of course that, uh, I mean, those wheat silos that for some reason, uh, I mean, that explosion was, in a way, we're so lucky that it's yeah, the wheat silos. The took, yeah, they took maybe a third of the impact. And the Mediterranean Sea took the other. Other third, and then and the rest is what impacted Beirut. And I'm just thinking, imagine those wheat silos were, were not there. I mean, imagine that and the you warehouse had was... Hamra, you would have had Hamra and Dahi yeah. and Corniche. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like a place like Dahi that, that is so uh, dense, for example, like... Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I've gone through all of the even yeah. worse scenarios. <laughs> so, so that kind of symbolism, I mean, we're, Lebanon is full of symbolism, right? We're always celebrating those symbolic moments when there's something positive happening. But this is real symbolism, I think. And I think uh, I, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to imagine going back to the usual pathetic scene that we've grown up in. I don't want to see that. And I, I really, I mean, and I agree with what you said earlier. If it doesn't happen now, we're doomed with a failed state that it's just, it's beyond our control. Because I, it there's... Be, it would be deteriorating beyond... Uh, yeah. Every single yeah. problem in modern Lebanese history com- uh, helped produce this, this, yeah. uh, this yeah. event. Joey, I... I, I yeah, sorry. sorry. No, no. I, I just want to ask you one more thing before we could... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no is it Is it easy for you to even do a podcast now about what's happening i mean are you able to even beyond lena beyond that episode mm-hmm, are you mm-hmm. able to really i mean properly reflect without wanting to vomit no it hasn't happened yet <laughs> uh, for now the 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 podcast with lena is the only one of august okay yeah. all, all, i had a bunch of stuff like i had an episode like a podcast episode on slovenia like August was supposed to be the most diverse of the countries, and I right. had done serious research into every single country. I'm, I was even going to have one on Belarus and everything, but for now, postponed to September. Right. Uh, I may have another one at some point uh, in August in which I reflect on my own or I have someone on. I really don't know, but for now, Lina's is a standalone um, yes. episode uh, for August. But I, I'm. The, the, the reason the reason I ask you though is because I, I was curious. I'm finding it so painful to go down that road, and I I don't I mean I I'm trying to do it as much as possible without it causing sort of personal harm because I, sure, I yeah, yeah and I and I really think this is uh it's you need to have I, like what you said earlier you need to have people that are in pain with you. I think it yes. has to be shared otherwise it's uh, it's very toxic. It's very it's part of the process. It really is yeah. part of the process. And yeah. the fact that we're outside of Lebanon, I think it's one of the only mediums we have at the moment. Right. Yeah. And like the, for me, the, the, so I said that Saturday during the protest, I was more kind of like in my zone in a sense. Yeah. I was able to compartmentalize. And even when the bombing actually happened, 
I, I, I have a Twitter thread that's like six days long. I've so seen like that, yes. Uh, it starts uh, with the photos and then it goes down. Yes, yes. I get updates every day. I'm like, that's an old thread. It's still happening. It's an, <laughs> I, I do this to kind of, um, it's become part of how I process things in some yeah. ways. Not always, not with everything. Uh, but specifically when it comes to Lebanon. Because mm -hmm. when it comes to Lebanon, uh, Syria to a certain extent, I would do it from time to time. But especially when it comes to Lebanon, there is also the element that I need uh, friends of mine. That's how I picture them. So friends of mine, because they have come to me before on this. And but if you scale it up, so basically anyone who's well-meaning, yeah. uh, who need to inform themselves or who need to debunk someone or who needs to counter someone, because there's a lot of very, very ill-meaning folks on Twitter. And this is something that they can use because it's irrefutable. It's photos and videos. I'm just translating for the most part. There's very little of my own opinion in all of this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what it is. You can completely disagree with me. It doesn't matter. I'm literally quote tweeting the videos. I'm translating the science from Arabic and the chants from Arabic into English. And that's basically the, the majority of it. Yeah. And it serves a certain function because <clears throat> excuse me, I started something like, uh, 12, 13 minutes after 6 or 8, like it's all like 6.30 Lebanese time or something like that, uh, 5.30 in Switzerland or something along those lines. And I remember exactly why it was because I, it's, it's such a ridiculous, it, it becomes one of those things, you know, we've all heard the 9-11 stories of yeah. like I was in the kitchen and I heard a blast or I was, you know, we've all heard these things. And for me, in 2005, when Hari was killed, I remember specifically I was in school. Mm. And I was in Sankar Najm. That was my school. It overlooks a hill, like yeah. the Beit uh, Mansouri Hill. Mm. It overlooks Beirut. Right. So, like, we were on the, the, the library what, where we were in, the kids and stuff, overlooks Beirut. We hear the rumbling, of course. It yeah. moves a bit. And yeah. we see the actual. And right. this is my first memory. <laughs> now, in my, of, of these things. Yeah. And in my mind, it's sort of, blurred into 2006 so like i can't fully fully like if i see videos i remember obviously yeah. but if i sit down and i just want to think of 2006 2005 that's the same distance because i, I was doing it from Beit Mirai and in that, that area yeah and so that was still a disconnect with this it was sort of a different disconnect because i was just in beirut like in my mind yeah i right, came here right. yeah pandemic hits and yes. so everyone's indoors whatever yeah. Just before that, for three months, almost every single day on the streets. And I left and I, I, you know, I do therapy on, on a weekly basis. And one of the things that we always talk about is how I always have difficulties either saying goodbye, like as basically having a separation between this is finished and this is starting. Uh -huh. And uh, a, a, a difficulty even sometimes emotionally investing in something, because in the back of my mind, I always wonder whether this is going to go at some point. And so this is a Syria thing. This is friends mm. from Aleppo and yes. Hama and, and Homs. And this is something that I sort of, I didn't even know that I had picked up from them. I, I thought, as I said before, that I have this kind of detachment. But it turns out that I don't. <laughs> it just turns out that the detachment is sort of maybe functional on the spot. If I need to do the work, I will do the work for the most part, not always. Right. right. But then the psyche is still sort of harmed. The emotional damage is still there somehow. It's just a matter of how manageable it is. Sometimes it's manageable, sometimes it's not manageable. And with, with this, it was that. It was, now I specifically remember the couch I was on. Like, this is what it yeah. is. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah. on the couch, specifically on the new couch because we're moving to a new place, which is still like boxes and stuff and whatever, and just the surreal 
uh, element of it is that I could I was watching on my laptop like as I'm talking to you now this exact same laptop yeah the videos uh, the first video I saw was the one where you know you had some folks on a boat and they saw the yes yes from, right, from, right. coming from sh from the shore it's like a view and, of Zaytuni Bay the uh, yes, hotels yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sort of shows it, but it doesn't show it in the same way. It right. shows like yeah. there was a bomb. Like yes. for me, it's just, oh, this looks like a bomb. Yeah. But then this, the, the videos from like Mom Khayel or um, somewhere probably in Ashrafiyah, like just from a bit of a distance, from usually from a high rise, fifth floor, sixth floor, whatever, yeah. where you yeah. really see it coming. Right. This is where it kind of like it completely fucked my mind. Yeah. I was like, this is not. <laughs> this is not this is serious like this is not the same this we're talking about this is not israel i we i remember the israeli bomb it's not like this i remember the car bombs it's not like this this yeah. is something different yeah and the mushroom cloud i was like well we don't have nuclear weapons i would have known by now if we have nuclear weapons so it's like what the fuck is this this is how it was for me it's like what is this and then it started popped up okay some there's we still don't know by the way we don't know exactly what was in the hangar we know that yeah. there was ammonium nitrate 2700 yeah. tons of ammonium nitrate which is insanity in itself but we apparently there was fireworks in it maybe weapons maybe both maybe who the like because we saw the the fireworks stuff yes before. reuters uh, did a piece on um that they were i mean it's it's a lebanese sources telling reuters that uh, there were fireworks that, inside that, 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 yes there were fireworks inside there was a door that was open and there was a, a hole, I think, in the roof. And mm -hmm. the Lebanese security in the port, this is my understanding of the article, that they, uh, that they were trying to repair the, the, the door and the roof, and that there was a fireworks storage next to the ammonium nitrate. While there was welding happening, these were construction workers, the welding yes. sort of set off sparks that hit the fireworks. That's that's what I remember. Yeah, and then so there was something along yeah. those lines. Even the first day, like we so like it might have been welding. It yes. was kind of like the logical conclusion. Yeah. But then I remember uh, I posted a video that I received on WhatsApp of like someone who was just next to the hangar. And I have no idea if this person is alive. It's yeah. insane. Like he was literally like 20, 20 meters, like literally like twenty meters away. Uh, I have no idea how someone can survive this. I don't know how the video survived, but it did. Um, it is incredible, right, that these videos are, are available. I mean, it's it's yes, tragic yes. at the same time that you don't know if they're alive, but the fact is there were people so close to this yes, yes, thing yes. that happened. Yeah. And I, I just remember the feelings that I was compartmentalizing at first. So it did not hit me immediately. Yeah. But I knew it, it was slowly hitting me. And no, I, I asked my two friends who, uh, one is Iraqi, one is Lebanese, they're together, and they were living nearby, and I told them to come over because I needed people around. My partner was in another uh, town, and I told her, uh, get an Uber, come here, please. Like, we need, like, I need humans around me. This is not, yeah, this is, sure. seems quite, quite extreme, what's yeah. happening. And I, I went through the, the, compartmentalizing process it lasted like three or four days in which i was still sort of functional i was updating i felt like just do as much as possible and then collapse like just do it now <laughs> and then collapse instead yeah. of collapsing at first uh, it's just how how i process it but then two things two news stories if you want i'm calling them news stories uh started popping up one is the beirut fire brigade the fact that they all died yeah this for me completely broke me 
like yeah. the the photo of them in the car with the ambulance, uh, the, whatever the, the the fire truck, and smiling, and the fact that um, I'm sorry, I forgot her name now. Sahar, uh, I forgot her last name. Sahar, yeah, she was supposed to get married in like three months, and then yeah. there is the photo, of the, the video of the funeral, and he's wearing tuxedos. Like this is the 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 um, sadness was from the beginning mixed with anger. Yeah. But then the anger took over. Like I was still feeling hurt, but really anger took over. Like I started saying things online that even before, and I was already a bit reckless before, but even before <laughs> I would kind of pace myself sometimes. Like at worst, I got blocked by Gibran Basile, but no one really came after me for these things. Are you blocked but, by him now? Are you, hey. Yeah, I've been, oh, really? been blocked since 2017. Oh, oh, so you're one of the old blocks. I see. Yeah, yeah you've, all, been, all, you've been doing the job. Blocks. Yeah, you've been... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny actually. <laughs> and the second thing, just to finish on the on this note, was um, the fact that my, my my mom has a stained glass workshop. Uh, she did the glasses, the stained glasses of Surso, yes, of right, uh, right. a number of uh, churches. There's the Protestant church in downtown. There's the Capucin. Uh, church somewhere in downtown. I remember I've been there with her, but I don't remember exactly where they were. But there was. She kept on getting over the next two days, so like what, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, more or less, every single day, more and more videos and photos of all of that destroyed. And on some level, some of it can be rebuilt, you know, uh, a church that's connected to a international church network might get the funds and okay, then it's a material damage. Yeah. But some of the stuff that were destroyed were like one of them was a 19th century uh, church, or stained glass that my mom didn't do. She just renovated it. And that's completely gone now. And you cannot replace these things. Carlos, that's it. Gone for good. And it's just the, the, the emotional impact of it is that she's 60 now. Like she, all of this, uh, some of them, she started making them in the 90s. And just like this, in, in five seconds, I'm supposed to accept that all of it is gone. Uh, we had different calculations in mind. Our, our plans was that, were, sorry, that I, I, I'm here in Switzerland. I'll try and make some salary, put some aside, become one of those, sending back money, you know, all of that, which I had never planned for before. But, like, this was a plan. And yeah. it's a plan that I could digest because I could rationalize it. It's like, okay, not the most ideal plan, but could be worse. But then this happened, and I was like, what's worse? Israel bombing Gaza, Assad bombing Halab, is that what we're talking about now? Because there was always this this um, uh, image, not image, sorry, there was always this sense that we were sort of isolated by a combination of sheer dumb luck, because we're not, you know, whatever, various factors. But also because we sort of went through it, 70s and 80s, that was our moment, quote unquote, of hyperviolence, and now society was sort of hype, more tired about it, and so we we won't see it, yeah. supposedly. That's anyway what we would tell each other. Mm -hmm. The fact that it happened like this, and that it wasn't even an attack, like I'm, I feel horrible saying it, but a part of me was wishing it was an attack, like just a part of me. I was in denial about it. I wasn't comfortable with it, but I told myself, well, if it's an attack, then it's it fits in some pattern you know israel bombs uh, hezbollah in 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 syria and or in the golan heights in the occupied golan heights or this happens or this has so there's a tit for tat tit for tat maybe this is the tat maybe there'll be a tit and then it stops you can rationalize it it fits into a certain timeline even though you don't like the timeline 
this doesn't fit in anything. Yeah. This is stupider than all of it. This is, is, is just extreme incompetence, criminal negligence. Uh, they didn't do shit until like four or five days. They started to do the investigation. The army gave up on, on search and rescue like six days later. And Michel Aoun comes in his stupid uh, jogging or whatever. And he says, like, like, sorry, uh, uh, again, like, fuck off. Like, خلاص. Well, seriously, we got to the point where you need to fucking leave. خلاص. It cannot. This is not acceptable. And I got pissed because I have friends who are uh, family, sorry, family members who are Aouni. I called them up and I yelled at them. I told them, I am not talking to you anymore as long as you support this party. I literally told them that. And خلاص, like I have made a commitment to this, including family members, friends, friends who are Aouni or Hezbollah. These are old connections that I no longer have. But family members, I sort of still have to deal with them. And if they don't understand that this is serious, not, nothing will make, will make them understand. So I'm, I'm putting an extra personal cost on them, that they are losing me, personally losing me, if they don't understand how severe this is. Then this is one explosion. There's no law of nature that says that, not, that a building cannot collapse. There's nothing that says that another hangar can't have other shit and we still don't know what's in it. As long as the fundamental problem behind this hangar, uh, behind the, sorry, what happened at the Port of Beirut in hangar number 12 or something, if that is not resolved, and it clearly seems like it's not going to get resolved, as we know, uh, we're, we're sitting sitting ducks. We're just uh, hoping that nothing else happens. Hoping like the, the airport was just five seconds away from being blown over as well. We got super lucky that only some buildings collapsed because of the silos again. Like it's now the silos aren't there. Like we're short, we're, we're just playing. It's like we're we're tossing a coin. We're tossing a coin and hoping not, nothing worse happens. Okay, so there's a few things I want to explore here. And I'm going to leave the family, uh, the family communication sure, sure, sure. to the last one because I am very interested in that. I think that opens doors that are not often open, and I, I want to open that with you. But let's go back a bit to the earlier. You said that you were hoping that it was an attack, and I think I know what you mean by that. And that it's just easier to it's it's easier to to digest it. Sure, it's almost like. Um, because it happened before. Happened before, and something else, I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, that it's mm -hmm. beyond our control. That yes. this is, yeah, that this is sort of, Lebanon is part of a bigger problem, sure. and this is not a Lebanese-born problem. Uh -huh. So there, that's kind of a, yes, sort of. Yes, that's maybe, part of it. Right, sure. and I think a lot, of, a lot of people that were rushing to that conclusion early on, the, the first day, I think that was that motive, which is it has to be Israel. Of course, Hezbollah yes. puts its weapon. I mean, it's like a, like it fits that story. It fits the story. It fits sure. The story. And it also fits, actually, I mean, forget conspiracies. It actually does fit the explosions that we've seen in Iran the last two yes, months, yes, sort yes, of yes, like yes. repeated yes, yes. attacks. So that, you know, and then yes. it's an explosion of that magnitude. Of course, we don't have that much ammonium nitrate in one place. Can't be. It must have been Can't a be. weapons dump or something, something to that effect. Investigations aside, whatever this, whatever the final story is aside, I think that's that sort of it's comfort, yeah. looking for comfort in tragedy. I share that sentiment, and I'm also, I am, I think everything that is wrong with Lebanon, everything, mm -hmm. everything that people are fighting against, everything that we've complained about, everything that that led to October 17, because October 17 is not 
a, a joyous occasion. It's born out of extreme pain. So the, everything that led to that moment, that outburst, and then all of the demands that came after, uh, I think are part of this story. Yes. And I think it goes, you said it, it's, it's criminal negligence, it's, it's, it's violence, citizens dying by, yes. by sheer fact that they live in Beirut. Yes. Yes. And, and I think it speaks to something that, and we can go as far as you want on this topic, because uh, I think it speaks to the way the regime is uh, put together and mm -hmm. why, why a port is not just a port. It is not just yes. a harbor. It is not just shipping. It's not just, <laughs> it's not just trade. It's not just that. In Lebanon, it's more than that. It's a sensitive site. And right. I think, I think, um, all the things that keep this country from, from entering a post-Civil War process um, contributed to what is the most reckless, man-made disaster. And we, I mean, hopefully something that will never happen again in Lebanese history, but we now, we saw it happen. And um, I think, um, I think, maybe I'll ask a question before getting deeper into this. For me, it's hard to just blame mm -hmm. corruption and mm -hmm. incompetence on the, on the ammunition, uh, on the ammonium nitrate storage. I, yeah. I have to believe, and I, I do believe that a lot of actors that participate in the port's activities are to blame. Yeah, this, in, yeah, this includes the security, these Lebanese yes. army security. This includes other forms of security, maybe political parties that have their people there. Mm -hmm. And this also includes Hezbollah, which is very, mm -hmm. very eager to make sure that there is oversight and indirect control of the airport and the port. Yes. So, the, yes. so they're, they're part of it too. And that's why I think, I think this kind of huge devastation um, can be something like a Chernobyl moment. And I talked about this in, in a recent episode. And I, I think this is why maybe this, our conversation is born out of that episode yes, perhaps. Yes, yes, that yes, the Chernobyl yes. moment, Chernobyl is not a uh, Cold War attack. No, it's not a CIA uh, sort of operation, mm -hmm. and it's not the Kremlin trying to sabotage a Ukrainian uh, uh, nuclear plant. So no, the Chernobyl is a born out of mismanagement, yes. and also whatever paralyzed and and destroyed the Soviet Union at the end. That 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 moment is very important, and then it took mm -hmm. years for the Soviet Union to finally five five years or something. five years, years. yeah. So maybe let's let's go there before we get into the more local, the more because I want to touch on the on the on the personal as well. But let's go there. Mm. Uh, is this to you a Chernobyl moment where where all the things that went wrong in Lebanon are now on the table, or are we still too afraid? Are we still too afraid to talk about security and how something like this cannot be fully fully controlled by the state, the most incompetent, the most the most mediocre, the most the most irresponsible politicians, mm -hmm. but you can't really hold them to account as long as there's a security agency that is deliberately encouraging this turning a blind eye behavior to their yes. to their own issue, yes, right? Yes, yeah, yes, yes, and this maybe also is it's part of that. It, so, it, yeah, uh, say as much as you want about that subject. I know it's. I don't it, want. I mean, it is. It is part yeah, of it. It is yeah. part of it. And you know, let's let's get out the Hezbollah elephant in the room uh, immediately. Uh, 
the, you know, Nasrallah's speech, I watched part of it and then I tortured myself and watched the entire thing of it. I don't know why I still do this, but I did. And I don't like, he's gotten more and more predictable over the years, I have to say. And the fact that he told us, well, two things at the same time. The, yeah. When he said that Hezbollah knows more about the port of Haifa than the port of Beirut. Yeah. First of all, like, that's a shit thing to say. You shouldn't say something like this in any context. It's not a smart thing to say. Uh-huh. Second of all, uh, how is that a good thing? Even if, you, if, if we believe this, which yeah. I absolutely do not, yeah. Yeah. how is this a good thing? Right. You, you are supposedly part of the Lebanese landscape, and yeah. you're telling us that you know more about the port of Haifa than the port of Beirut, which yeah. is five seconds away from, from Dahi. Like, is that yeah. seriously what you're telling us? And no one believed it. I, 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 I've seen a lot of the reactions, even some people who are kind of like, maybe more sympathetic or something. I mean, you, yeah. you still have the cult members and all of this, you know, that's diff- difficult to change their minds, but so, there are lots of people who are sort of in between. There are lots of people who are not like card-carrying party members, right? but they sort of have some kind of familial affiliation mm-hmm. or like it's their neighborhood, or, you know, that kind of, that's how it works. Sure. Uh, and in fact, I, I genuinely think that's the majority of most political, of all political parties in Lebanon. Yeah. But putting that aside, we, uh, I, I will definitely forget the names, but we know that the security agencies are knew about it. We know that the army definitely knew about it. Yeah. We know that both Michel on himself and Hassan Diab himself knew about it. In July 20, uh, I think there was the, they even, like they physically read reports about it. So that's yes, just two exactly. weeks ago. Yeah. We're, we're at beyond, uh, and like you, you can use the Trump argument of like he's not smart enough to know about these things, and like maybe that's accurate, but legally it doesn't matter. Yeah, they are at this position. No one forced Michelin to fucking be president. He's been wanting to be president since the fucking eighties. He got it in 2016, and now half of the city blew up. <laughs> like this is a man who in 1990 did his war of liberation, whatever. A, a significant part of the city blew up. Yes, he fled. He fled. In the middle of it, yeah. he fled in the middle of it, sought asylum in France for 15 years, comes back, five seconds later, he's already buddies with Hezbollah, and 15 years later, the, the city uh, blows up. Like, what kind of fucking resume is this? Like, sh- sh- at, at, some, at what point is, are, we, are we dealing with a phenomenon of, of like, how, do you, how can you love such like, your chair this much? It doesn't even look good. Nothing looks good. The palace looks like shit. Nothing is... Nothing is is glory. There's a, nothing a, to it. Uh, I'm sorry, interrupting you, but in the sorry. private conversation, no, no, no. We'll get back to this. But in a private conversation, I think uh, yesterday or two days ago, somebody was shouting, venting, just just letting it out on the phone. Friend yeah, of mine, yeah, yeah. and she was trying to explain to her roommate, who's not Lebanese, you know, how uh-huh. could Lebanon elect such a leader? And she was trying. She couldn't explain. And I told her, I think it's not that. I think he chose us. To be our president, it's not we. Yeah, he, we he declared uh, Lebanon as his sort of country. It's the other way around. But well, no, no, he, he did self-declare in the eighties anyway. So he, that's know. true. He self-declared it. But you're right, yeah. Joey. You're absolutely right. Ashtafi burning under his jurist under his tenure, both terms, <laughs> and he's in, still in Baabda. But that's, that's insane. But let's okay. So I'm going to add one thing and then let you keep sure, going. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's my fear. Is that he's still in Baabda. but okay. Yes. So we'll we'll get back to that. But but please, I, I interrupted you. 
No, no. The other thing was so uh, Mona Harb, who's a yes. uh, an academic I really respect, she posted on Twitter, "Why do you care so much?" She was talking kind of like in the air to the government, if you want. Like, why do you care so much about an empty building, the parliament? Like, yes, what's I so saw this. Yeah. What mm-hmm. What is so important about such an empty symbol or something right. like this? Right. And I replied, like, the symbol is what matters. For Nabi Hibri, it is his private property. He is. <laughs> he has been speaker of parliament since 1992. He quite literally sees himself as a mafioso. He probably has watched all of these movies and genuinely believes that he's like this. I'm. Not, I wish I was joking. Wahid Allah, I wish I was joking. But the guy genuinely believes he's 82. He's been like this since what? Since the 70s. Like yeah. you're not gonna change him. It's been. He he was like this in his 30s and he's 80s in his 80s now. He's not gonna change. It's not gonna happen. And he has a section of the army that's loyal to him. And of course, he has uh, Harrison Majlis, like parliamentary guards that are obviously, literally, his, basically his private guard. Yeah. That's basically yeah, what yeah. they are at this point. They probably, by now, like we're talking about 30 years of this, so they have ma- uh, cultivated a sort of dependency that even if maybe in the back of their mind they have the, their conscience kind of tickling them, maybe like it's not enough to make much of a difference. You know, the fact that they were tear gassing people the day, sorry, a few days after. That was even actually one 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 day after the actual. There was also a protest and whatever, but like they were tear gassing people, surrounded even in Jamaica, like surrounded by the destroyed Jamaica, completely yeah. obliterated Jamaica, yeah. and they still had the weapons and the resources after not doing shit to find the survivors, not not even cleaning the streets. Who cleaned the streets? We cleaned the streets. Like we. Yeah. Lebanese folks and Syrian folks and Ethiopians and Sri Lankans, just random yeah. people who live in Beirut, they were cleaning the streets. They yeah. didn't do anything. They, they did a photo op this morning or yesterday. They got some brooms and they did it for five seconds and they fucked off. Like, honestly, <laughs> there, there's no... Just, like, we really got to a point where anyone who is telling me that they still buy this, like, they still buy this shit, honestly, like, we need to have a serious chat, you and I, you me, this metaphorical person in front sure. of me. This is not... This is not a difference of opinion. We're not discussing whether we should privatize the banks or publicize, or sorry, or, or uh, socialize the banks. We're not de- de- debating universal healthcare. We're not debating anything. We're just <laughs> debating whether we want Lebanon to explode or not. That's what we're debating here. Right, but um, but okay, uh, well, I, okay. There's a yeah, lot of there's a lot I want to get into, but I know. I'm sorry. No, no, no. On the contrary, on the contrary, but I I'm going to bring it up again not to beat a dead horse just uh-huh. to kind of try to understand what's really at stake in terms of the, the the foreseeable future because change is happening whether the whether the Lebanese regime the whatever this thing is now uh, wants it to or not things are changing and the, I don't I don't want things to change for the worse and the reason I the reason I bring up okay let me let me, um, let me try something which I haven't tried before. Could you imagine the port being more uh, secure? Or uh, let's say the individuals in the port that are mediocre and they're, they're, there's great, great interviews with certain security that were just playing ping pong. Sort of, yes. that, yeah, that, that, I think it was Synapse report that uh, uh-huh. it's just, uh, yeah, they, that's their job. They play ping pong and they're instructed to kind of turn a blind eye to certain things. Okay, that, that situation. Could you imagine it improving if the security of the port was something that we could point the finger to and say, you're responsible? Not that we're unable to really point the finger right now. And, and I, so I, what you said earlier about everyone getting reports about these 
uh, about the storage, which go back seven years. It's a deliberate decision to just leave it, ignore it, right? Okay, you, if there's one person, if there's one body that's accountable, you should be able to say, no, this is a big mistake. We're not being pressured by anyone to keep it there. We're going to get rid of it. We're going to just, we're going to relieve Lebanon of this stress, prevent an explosion yeah. from happening. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm always actively wondering, is it, is it due to just simply corruption that this happened? Or is it really the way Lebanon operates, which is you have, you have a group that is able to literally wage war against, its, against Beirut if one person is fired? One person. Yes. Yes. That's what happened yes. in May 2008. One, yes. one person. So yes. imagine now the port. You can't get rid of the people that are actively sabotaging the security of the port. Right? And then this group, if they, if they remain unscathed from this incident, it just means that the same situation is going to happen. It means that they're mm -hmm. unable. They're unable to evolve. They're unable yes. to turn into something that is more accountable. And no, no one would ever say, get rid of Hezbollah. You can't. Hezbollah is a party in Lebanon. And despite all efforts, there will always be a Hezbollah in Lebanon. Sure. But that's not even the point. They should be a party. They should sure. be. They should be probably one of the most important parties on domestic mm -hmm. politics. Their weapons and their intelligence and their security should be over. It should be gone. Mm -hmm. And I, I fear that that issue is deliberately left out of the room. It's sort of a now is not the time to bring up that issue. At the same time, to me, that is the central issue. That how, how can we even begin to rebuild the port and then hope for something like this never happening again if the same situation is there? And I, I want people to rot in jail. I want accountability. I want, I want everyone that had knowledge and willfully did nothing to be held to account. All, everyone, everyone. There's not one person that led to this. It's there's so many people that are complicit, but they're not going to be part of that uh, accountability. You're not going to see anyone on their side being no. sort of held to account, and that's that's no, this no, is no, what no. I fear. And I I don't know if that's something that I maybe I'm um, I, I can't imagine improvement in Lebanon, and I can't imagine anything going for the better with this situation. They're, they're central to the problem. They may not have wanted that ammonium nitrate there. They may not have even had interest in that ammonium nitrate. But the fact is they're inspecting almost everything that goes in that port and they make sure that their stuff enters without any hindrance. Mm -hmm. That is part of the story. And they do the same thing yes. at the airport. They do the same thing in many sensitive sites. Yeah. We're going to have that deliberate turning a blind eye policy again. Yes. And you're gonna yeah, have Yeah, you're gonna have kickbacks, you're gonna have corruption, you're gonna have negligence, and you're gonna have a lot of crooked people taking advantage of the rest and you'll have all these sort of unsavory types making money off of that arrangement and that's probably what led to this yeah. but okay. that's why they're ejecting an international investigation that's why exactly. at the end of the day i mean exactly ideally ideally they there are there are the weapons should have disbanded in 2000 as it was supposed to Yes. The exception was that 90s, okay, the exception to Hezbollah because they are resisting in the south. It wasn't technically just them. There was some communists. There was the SSNP, like sure. five of them at some point. You know, there was there was some exceptions being made to the specific thing. Okay. Put, honestly, putting that aside, like let's 
well, let's agree with that story. I think it has some issues even there, but let's agree with that story. Come 2000, and then between 2000 and 2005, there is zero justification. Shabbat is not a justification. It's just not a good argument. Yeah. And then in 2006, you have the war. Okay. You have a war. The war happens. There was two conflicts, two sides. Shit happens. It's extremely bad. Israel yeah. committed more war crimes than most people can even count. And we know all of this. Then 2008 comes. 2008 is the first time that they really show their teeth. They really show their strength yeah. against other Lebanese for the first time since the civil war. Yeah. Really, really to a significant extent. They mm-hmm. overtook Beirut and parts of Mount Lebanon like this very yeah. quickly. Yeah. That's even, even that you can, if you are so minded, if you believe in that narrative, you can justify it. Oh, the telecommunication are needed. The networks are needed to resist Israel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fought in Europe is pro-Saudi, pro-American, therefore we need, you know, you can rush, you can tell yourself a story. 2011 comes. For me, 2011 is though either, either you support protests for uh, justice and dignity and democracy, or you do not. Yeah. We, many people tend to forget this, but Nasrallah first supported them. He first supported the Libyan one, the Egyptian one, the Tunisian one, the Yemeni one. He supported all of those. But then it came to Syria, and that's when the exception obviously came. Yeah. And for me, I I have a different attitude toward Hezbollah, even less, much more, much less tolerant attitude than even some of my anti-Hezbollah friends, basically, because my angle towards Hezbollah in some ways is one that came through Syria rather than one through right. Lebanon. Right. Right. And that that gives me a different angle in some ways because I have I literally know people whose homes were emptied by Hezbollah because Hezbollah used them as bases to use them as snipers to shoot at people who wanted to leave Madaya, for example. I have friends from Madaya who told me these things. And for me, it's no longer a, it's no longer a uh, me disagreeing with you or me disagreeing with your philosophy or me feeling, okay, you have your warlord, they have your warlords, I need to concise, I need to kind of find a way to reconcile this difference because if that was only the case, then it's a Lebanese problem. It's between me and you. You, the Hezbollah member, me, the anti-Hezbollah member, you, the Aouna, you, the Uwet, you, the whatever, you, the whatever. And there are certain rules of the game, which they don't respect, let's be honest. Okay. But like, there are certain rules of the game that I can then sort of play with. Like, at some point, I would have given up on it anyway, because as we said, they don't respect them anyway. But the added dimension of Syria to me is something that I literally see collaboration with the Assad regime as synonymous with collaboration with the Israeli regime. Like for me, the SLA has been disgraced as it should be, the South Lebanon army, for those who don't know, uh, which was Israel's proxy in the South, has been disgraced. The fact that Hezbollah has not yet been disgraced on those exact same terms tells me something about my own, uh, because my house was bombed by the Assad regime before I was born. Like my mom was pregnant with me when that happened. And for me, it tells me something about my belonging to Lebanon that many people around me, fellow Lebanese, who are supportive of these parties, specifically Hezbollah and specifically Hezbollah. Some Aouni sometimes take it even further than Hezbollah, but like specifically these two, and Amal obviously. That they are telling me something that I feel they don't fully understand what they're at, the implications of what they're telling me. Because they're literally telling me that we should mourn, as we should, the bombings in the South, which we should, of course, but we shouldn't give a shit about the bombings in Mount Lebanon. And for me, this says things that are inherently sectarian. 
whether it doesn't matter what my personal faith is, it doesn't matter what uh, my fam where my family comes from and whatnot. They're fairly mixed, but more more of them are Christians. Most of them are Christians. That that doesn't matter as much as it matters that you are telling me that the only way you will accept me as a fellow X is if I already accept your narrative. And this is a problem for any kind of, of society. This is a very, very fundamental problem. And this is a frustration because if the guy who punched me, I use this as an example, and I'll, I'll stop on this. The guy who punched me in, in um, Riyadh Salah during the, the, during yes. the fights, the yeah. second time around, the way he was looking at me, I was like, you, do you, like, you're looking at me, the way he was looking at me, is like he was almost expecting me to start speaking Hebrew to him. <laughs> like, there was, there was something in his eyes that was like, dude, do you know I live 20 minutes away? Like, how, how disconnected are you? And the problem is this, sectarian parties in Lebanon have their own media system. It's an entire ecosystem. At the end of the day, in the same way that you can create a fascist in Germany or a fascist in Charlottesville or a fascist in whatever, you can create fascists in Lebanon. We don't use these terms because we barely talk about these things, but it is fundamentally what it is. We're talking about a totalitarian ideology that doesn't accept anyone else. And that is very dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. Reverence to weapons, a worshipping of weapons, is a behavior of war. Yes. It is not a behavior of peace. Well, There's no... Uh, reverence for figures that represent a militia unless there's war and lebanon is not special many countries have had this lebanon had it during the civil war lebanon was doing it regularly you know people that we now uh we spit at names that we 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 curse regularly regularly at ease all of them are born from militia and uh not too long ago they had geographic control over parts of the country and they were killing people and th there's very good reason to condemn them and say that they have no place in the republic any longer there's that and that comes out very easily and it took us time to get there but we got there yes. we got there and and people that didn't have weapons that contributed to the fall of the country deliberately yes. or not doesn't even matter at this point if they were willing to negotiate their own dignity and contribute to the pain and suffering of the of the of the republic and its citizens, uh, we can slur them as well at ease, and we do that openly too. And you you hinted at this already. Yes, yes, yes. The sheer reluctance of those people, not not Hezbollah supporters, forget Hezbollah supporters, of people outside of Hezbollah's orbit to exclude them from scrutiny and deliberately shield them and expect that to be a, a, uh, a Lebanese exception where one group still has the right to bear arms in 2020 when there's no legitimate excuse any longer for, for arms. To me, is, uh, it means that there is a, I think there's a, I really think the civil war lives on and I, yes. yeah. And I, if you're unable to detach your personal justified hatred for Israel mm -hmm. and you're unable to sort of go beyond your personal mm -hmm. legitimate frustrations with what the Israelis are doing, not just mm -hmm. to 
Palestinians, but let's say to Lebanese over time. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. If you're unable to separate that from Hezbollah's weapons, I consider that civil war. Yes. And you know what? Other countries call it different things. I mean, in Northern Ireland, they had the troubles, and the IRA sure. was was worshipped. Sure. But very, very, very few Irish Northern Irish Catholics today still worship the IRA the way they did mm -hmm. 30 years ago. Maybe a handful wish they were still around. I, I don't see why that cannot happen with us, because it happened. It happened with every other militia. And every other militia turned political party uh, are have devolved to the point that they are they have no place any longer they're they're being pushed aside if they still survive this round their fate is near it is hard it is hard to see them playing an active role much longer but they are devolving it took time but they are yeah. they're they're exiting the stage this group is not mm -hmm. and this group has tolerated and perhaps even encouraged the the worst components of every other militia to do their bidding mm -hmm. and the non-militia types to also do their bidding and that's that's why i i see the port explosion as something that it should be exposing all of the country's problems at once it's almost to me it's it should seem more like the regime the post-war regime the post-war order committed suicide and blew up mm -hmm. then again i look at it now a week later and it's, it seems more and more that this round, Hezbollah will come out clean. And, and, to me, that's the fate. That's, that's really where you can bash everyone else as much as you want and good. Do it. Do it. Do it. Let it out. Let it out. Let it out. If you can't criticize their weapons, if you can't criticize the port's, the port's um, infrastructure and why it would tolerate something like that to begin with, without including them in the equation, it means... Uh, it means at best, to me, it means failed state. And yeah. failed state still, I mean, they, they live technically. Somalia is still there. And you have regions mm -hmm. that are autonomous. And it's sure. just, it's Mogadishu is, is poor and uh, crime-ridden. And Beirut could end up like that. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's foreseeable. Mm -hmm. I don't, and that, that, to me, it's like um, the hesitation to state the obvious and... Um, I, I mean, maybe it lives more online than it does right now in the streets. I don't know. I haven't been in Beirut since January. I've seen, I've seen open, open debate on that group more now than ever before. And yes. I, yeah. So that, that yes. is there. It is there. I remember that the last time we spoke yeah. on your podcast, I also mentioned something like, the, you know, the crack in the narrative in a sense. Yeah. And last time we spoke on, on your podcast, on this podcast, uh, I mentioned also that there's been like some cracks in the narrative, in, in their narrative. And that, that wasn't just like the optimist in me hoping that it was there. It was actually there. There was some more open defiance. There were more open defiance within the community, which is what matters at the end of the day. Sure. It doesn't matter yeah. as much what I think about Hezbollah. They can just, uh, you know, uh, cast me aside as a wet guy. Like they just see it, which I'm not, by the way, for those who are confused. But like, you know, because of sectarian uh, calculations and where I am from and all of that, and because I'm so anti-Hezbollah, therefore the only logical conclusion yeah, is that I am coordinated forces. You know, I never even thought about that. That, that is, you're right. In the, in the traditional logical equation, yes, yes, yes. one plus you one just, equals, you, yeah. <laughs> you go with the statistical, like the, I can kind of see the calculations I made in the head. Oh, he's from there, this yeah, yeah. sect, therefore X, that's it. And yeah. that, that's how it works. Right. But like, so 
the the fact that we saw on the same kind of podium of people who were being hanged, Nasrallah mm-hmm. was yes. among them. Yes, yeah. Uh, for me, that blew my mind in some ways much more. That I felt like at this point that it, he couldn't not have been there. So because it's a visible thing, so like when it's chance, you can sort of if you're not comfortable saying his name, you just focus on saying the other names. But if you're putting all of their bodies up like as cardboard cutouts, yeah. It's obvious who you will be missing out. <laughs> it's very right. obvious, you know, right. next to one another. Yeah. So, for me, I feel like the the reverence of him is very difficult to to untang to decouple to 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 get rid of because in some ways it's both religious and political. And when you have the mix of the two, that's super super difficult too. It's like if the it's like if the Batrak who is super political as well. Uh, if he literally was the leader of the, the, the party of the Lebanese forces, for example, and he was giving the speeches <laughs> and he was giving the, the, he was actually making the foreign policy. He's very powerful, don't get me wrong, and he yeah. does have quite a lot of clout, but he is primarily a religious, leaders, a religious leader. When it comes to Nasrallah, there's something specific. There's even the fact that we need to call him Sayyid. Sayyid like yeah. that's, part, that's, part of the, that's part of the thing. I, I don't, I am no, I can no longer, after Madaya and Halab and Hama and all, I, I can no longer do anything. I have nothing but disgust and disrespect towards him as I have towards all of the others, plus the additional Syrian component, as I mentioned. But it's a matter of, uh, they are worried about early elections, probably possibly for a good reason in the sense of, from their perspective. You know, they, they might actually lose some seats in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the thick mm-hmm. of the moment. Mm. Maybe they, maybe the way they're thinking, if they're thinking at all, is that you you know if we push them to next year or in two years, maybe things can go back to the shit normal in some ways, and so we can build back our our support base. That that may be how they're thinking. But right now they're sort of it's from all over the place they're being criticized. Forget yeah. the Americans and the Israelis. That's the usual stuff. That doesn't it doesn't have as much clout in some ways. Sure. Yeah. In, in in many ways like. If the Americans just shut up and say nothing, that would have been much better, honestly. Because whatever they say is just, it gives additional arguments. So for me, like the other equivalent would be like on Saturday when there was all of the protests happening in downtown, Samir Jajar goes to Saint uh, Sassin, Sassin. Yeah. and he does his stupid photo ops and he, photo op and he fucks off. But that photo op in its own is enough to be used by Hezbollah supporters and Amal supporters and free patriotic uh, movement supporters to say, you're saying Kilon Yani Kilon, how can you say Kilon Yani Kilon if Samir Jaja was there? Even though there were no protesters in Sahar Sassin. Actually, there was, a, there was a woman from the balcony who was cursing it, and shouting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she, and she was shut down. Like They yelled yes. back, and not, yes. not Jaja himself, but like right. his, probably his security guards and whatnot told her, like, in a yeah, very, yeah. very disrespectful Foot, way. Foot jour or something like that. Foot yeah, yeah. Jour, like, go, yeah. go inside, inside, go inside. Yeah. Like, very as usual. Yeah. So, like, which, like the fact that um, the opponents of the revolution, like, I don't know how to call them, but, like, people who are pro-government, essentially, are willing to use every single trick of the book, any dishonest, dirty media tricks, they have their own TV channels at the end of the day, uh, to push this specific narrative means that really even something as catastrophic, as Lina Munzer said on, on the show, like she yeah. genuinely feels yeah. that they will not be held accountable. Yeah. And she's right. It's, it's, they it's, will not be held accountable. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Not nothing. If, if there was an ideal scenario, right now you would have a uh, kind of like a truth, a, a truth committee conciliation, whatever they're called, a fact-finding investigation, and every single one of them 
would have to respond when called upon to respond, including yes. Mishran, yes. including Nabi Hibberi, including oh. Hassan Nasrallah himself personally. Yes. But this is not going to happen. Is and actually, everyone who knew about it and did nothing, they should yes. all be held to account. Yes, absolutely. But you see, that, that this, this uh, the minimum criteria is not there. Yeah, so th this is my, you know what, that's where it comes down to. It's that I would just like this country to be able to govern itself and then we can blame actors and throw them in jail when necessary and bring in something better to replace it. We don't have that. I think the foundation is still not there. And I'm going to echo something you said earlier. Um, I think maybe it's Lebanon's curse at the end of the day is that there's just things that happen in Lebanon that cannot be held to account. Hezbollah mm -hmm. goes to Syria, your Syrian mm -hmm. friends are the ones sort of telling you how bad things are in Syria and but we cannot do anything about that, you know? It's it's from it's from Lebanon, it's in Syria. Mm -hmm. We just there's yeah, you can't you can't even uh, it's beyond your control. You cannot help heal those wounds. It's mm -hmm. beyond your control, it's beyond my control. It's almost beyond everyone's control. So that, there's things that like that that are happening last years. There's things in history sure. that happened that we had no control over as well. Sure. And it's the port explosion is the one thing that should be very easy to hold to account. It should be very straightforward. And even then, which is kind of where I wanted to go earlier, and I'm going to bring it up now. Even then, I'm a bit. Uh, I'm. I'm looking for that hope. And what you said at the beginning is that, yes, you shouldn't dismiss hope outright, just like you shouldn't dismiss naivety and sure. <laughs> and delusion. But I, Hassan Dieb stepped down yesterday, resigned yesterday. Mm -hmm. There's no fear in this man's eyes. He resigned. Mm -hmm. He's a caretaker mm -hmm. prime minister now. In any mm -hmm. other country, in any other situation like this one, you'd have a prime minister worried for his life and fleeing at best, or, or literally, I mean, admitting defeat and, and encouraging things to move in the right direction, not a caretaker capacity. That's not what you see happening mm -hmm. when there's genuine anger on the street. We should own his people by now should have put him aside. Told him to move, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he alone should be, because he's unaware, he's unaware. But the, no, no, he's, uh, so uh, I, yeah. sa I said this, sorry, I said this on the podcast with Lena as well. Yeah. We have this tendency, just people in general, to assume that the people in power know as much as we do and mm. probably know a bit more. Mm. Michel Aoun, I don't think he sits down and actually sees any of these videos of what his people are doing. Right. I, genu I genuinely, do, like he, he obviously felt the bomb. He was probably shown some footage or whatnot, but I don't think he kind of sat down and reflected upon it and you know, uh, ruminated over the, the like, sorry, like pondered over the significance of this and how must we implement reforms and how, no, none of this crosses, Nothing. honestly, like anyone who still believes this is not, is honestly not paying attention. 24 hours after the explosion, he's willing to blame other people. I mean, he's yes. on TV saying, yes. it's not my responsibility. Ma so, Macron gave a speech before he did. Macron gave a speech before he did. Exactly, exactly. Mac Macron walked into Jemaise. Michel Aoun cannot walk into Jemaise. I mean, even these he other... He, he would be dead. I'm not kidding. Honestly, he cannot walk into Jemaise. Maybe that's, maybe that's the awareness there, that maybe he knows that there's certain areas that are... 
beyond his uh, at yeah. least his security people know. Yeah, but 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 he was comfortable enough going on TV saying, uh, you know, that that Honestly. to me, yeah, that to me shows that the rapid change you would need to see is not happening. Nabih Birri, instead of doing the right thing, maybe, and sort of acknowledging that things are horrible and he's going to be the first to step down and pave yeah, the way. He's never done that. <laughs> he, sends his, he sends his people to intimidate and possibly use regular ammunition. I mean, it's like uh, rubber bullets is bad enough, but his people, his entourage, yeah. are being violent. That, that to me is also signs of there's no, the change that should happen is not happening. I'm going to add someone else. Saad Hariri whispers, whispers of him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not wanting to be prime minister again. But, but at but the same time, considering it, considering it, I mean, at this stage, if you're still considering it, it means the problems cannot be fixed. Jabron Basile going on CNN, willing to talk and, and maybe use the right, the wrong word for the right, wrong occasion, Ignate uh -huh. and these things. He's, uh, he's comfortable going on international television news and saying what he thinks. These people should be hiding. They should be hiding or fleeing. They're, they're not. They're not. Mm -hmm. Now, it's been a week. It's fresh. But uh, I don't know. I think a week is long enough to get these people out, and they're not going anywhere. They're not going they're anywhere. Not. Now, this goes back to the topic of maybe your own example. I'm going to share my side as well. You said that uh, your own relatives, who mm -hmm. until today still firmly believe that is the answer to all of Lebanon's problems. Let's go there. Let's give mm -hmm. them the benefit of the doubt. That's going to be tricky. I know. I know. Maybe you. Maybe you don't. Uh, maybe now I've you. I've done that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. No, but let's say uh, you don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no communication with them right now. All right. Sure. And we probably. This is not special. All of us have relatives that still firmly believe in the old guard. But uh, let's let's give these people the benefit of the doubt. This massive explosion hits Jamezi Maram the port, Beirut, mushroom cloud effect. The whole world saw the worst examples of Lebanon on display. They're still unable to see that this president should step aside. If it's not going to happen through this kind of explosion, I think it will never happen. That this but is a you know, yeah. No, I'm just gonna say one more thing and then I'll let you. I think this is the curse. Is that uh -huh. you've given you're given endless excuses, endless justified reasons, not unjustified. This is not, mm -hmm. these are justified reasons to let go and you hold on. You hold on until your dying day and you die in the process and you hold on while dying. I, I think that's the curse. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, is that one common theme that they were telling me before the, erupt, the fight happened, if you want the yelling and everything, they were convinced that this was an attack. They told themselves yeah, the yeah. thing that would have fit in the narrative much better than their reality, yeah. which poses so many uncomfortable questions. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that I still haven't said in public, and I'm fine that this is public now. It's okay. I was going to go with it at some point when I was more comfortable. It doesn't matter. Uh, when I speak of my family, and I say that my family is the kind of part of the old God, I mean quite literally. Selim Jreisati is my uncle. He is the minister right now. Oh. What, I, what I'm talking about the people who him and 
people around him who I know by name, who are not my family relatives, like politicians and so on around him, who are the Emil Lahoud gang, mm -hmm. you know, the Emil Lahoud days, yes. those guys, yeah. Yeah. who would know Jamil Sayed by first name, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And for me, as I mentioned before, you can kind of put one and, you know, two and two together. The fact that my anti-Hezbollah stuff started, came via Syria, and the fact that there's the added component of the fact that these guys are close to the Assad regime, for me, has uh, cut off certain family connections that right. I've, I've cut off years ago, actually. This is not new. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, I don't call him because he doesn't reply anyway. And he doesn't call, when he calls me, I don't reply anyway. So we don't have, we don't have any actual relationship. Um, I will try at some point, and as I said, I don't mind this being public, but I will try at some point to actually talk to him about this as well, because mm -hmm. I will have the familial clout, even though I don't think it counts for much. Um, the other thing is, this is the reason why, when I'm criticized online uh, by folks who are pro Hezbollah or pro Amal or pro whatever, they are talking to me not knowing what my background is, not knowing that I actually went through their world before coming out of it that I was a Hezbollah supporter at some point in right. my life, yeah, yes, yes. that yeah. I was closer to the Aouni than yeah. I've ever was to the Uwet. One of the, uh, my childhood friend, I won't name his name, and we haven't been friends in like over a decade now, but one of the reasons we stopped being friends is because he became so devoted to Samir Janja, to the leader of Lebanese forces. Because at, my, at, at that point, I was never a caught caring member of any political party, right. but I was kind of more aligned with that worldview, if you want, that there is some kind of foreign conspiracy, that there's some kind of, um, you know, that the original March 14 movement was co-opted by foreign forces and therefore March 8 was a necessity, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. all, of, all of that crap. All of that died for me years ago, years ago, like it had no salience, like in 2011, really, it was already dead by then. Yeah. Yeah. But the lingering connections means that I have, I might have like a Christmas dinner having to deal with them <laughs> or like, you know, a, uh, visiting my grandma and having to deal with, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. And being still painfully aware, if you want, of the disconnect between our worlds. So having a cousin, of course, I won't name any names. Uh, when the, it was during the fall of Aleppo, I remember this very clearly because it was around Christmas, very easy to remember, unfortunately, mm. of 2016, coming to me and basically asking me, do you genuinely believe that there was a revolution in 2011 in Syria? And this was five years later. Yeah. Because he genuinely believed or probably had to convince himself due to these family connections and so on that uh, there's some conspiracy behind it, that it was those studios in Qatar and all, all of it, it was fake and all of because they have to believe a certain narrative because the alternative is to accept that the party, Hezbollah in this case, that they supported for legitimate reasons in the, in the context of the resistance against Israel in the South is now actually being this cynical and using their own, their own, their, their, their own clout the fact that they have, they did this, they succeeded in liberating the South. And the story is more complicated, but whatever, let's go with that. Let's say, khalas, this is the story. The fact that they used this and then on Liberation Day, which is supposed to be this quasi-sacred day, announced that they're, they're in Syria. They're now, because we've known for some months before that, but they officially announced it back then. May something, whatever it was. Mm. Um, 
for me meant that they now had to create a justification for it. And this was the first time, and people honestly in Lebanon have not really paid attention to this. And I, I say this honestly, that this was the first time that Hezbollah had to justify anything. This is the first time that Hezbollah had to say, we are there because of this. He had to invent things. He had to invent takfiris out of thin air, <laughs> even when they were not there. He created Daesh, like, I'm sorry, he created the narrative that Daesh was already in certain areas when they were not. Yeah. It, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy in some way. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the reason why they had to explain it, like at no point did they have to genuinely justify uh, resisting Israel in southern Lebanon. The story was set. Right, right. It was set in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. knew why it was there. Yeah. Even in the South, obviously supported it because there was nothing else anyway. No one else was doing anything. There, there, there was no international community that was going to kick out Israel. We under, they understood the, the rules of the game, if you want. There was mm -hmm. nothing else available. No, there was no better option. So at best, they had to tolerate them because there was no better option. In At war, sorry. In, yeah. in, uh, when it comes since 2011, especially, for me, everything changed. 2011 is the break. And then 2019 in the context of Lebanon and obviously now in the past week, that's kind of a second break. So it's going to take some while to, sorry, no, no, it's going to take some while to, 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 yes. to fully digest, if you want, the moment of what has been happening since October and especially in the past week, I think. Yeah. But all of this to say that there are these narratives, some of which are inherited, some of which are uh, developed and they are malleable. Sometimes, they're, you know, mm -hmm. the Aoni and the, 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 uh, FPM and the and the Amal movement can be at each other's throats one week and then the next week they're besties. Sure, sure. These are all flexible narratives. The the yeah. gravitas of their former warlords and whatnot has sort of waned in some ways. Uh, now, like if you notice, I I do cultural studies, so I tend to have an eye and be very obsessed about these things. But if you notice, a lot of the profile pics that Aouni people use of Michel on is usually when he was in the 80s. In his heyday, yes, yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah. It's very rarely like this small shivered man in his <laughs> yeah, jogging. You know, sure. it's, not, it's not as cool. You know, right. it's not as nice. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, the, the 2005 is usually the cutoff of the photos that I see. But that's sort of yeah, it's that's that. his return, and then there's like a that's it. 2005 is yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's like in history books, you, past 1950 or so, you don't know yeah, anything. 2005 yeah. is the cutoff. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but but I'm going, to, I'm going to add something here. Sure, sure, sure. I think you are thinking for yourself only. So mm -hmm. you're coming to your conclusions without any pressure. There's no one sort sure. of over your, over your shoulder saying, you know, this is your uncle. You should think like him no, no one's even probably if somebody's approaching they did, you yeah you did in the past and i had I cut off the yeah. exactly you're willing to pay yes, the yes. price of yes. uh, losing support some support let's say sure sure, sure, sure. because you believe in certain things and you hold them true yes okay that is something that i identify with uh -huh. and you have relatives that that lean certain ways and you've sort of you've you tried maybe engaging them didn't work and you eventually sort of cut your ties we all have relatives like this I have relatives in the north in Tripoli that and they're they're not particularly close I don't see them regularly but they are Karami worshippers they think uh -huh. that Omar Karami was God's gift to planet Earth and therefore Faisal Karami as well is somebody that's almost divine I mean I don't I don't engage with them regularly and if I do engage them I never bring up that subject but it's, it's family um, and that's not special either I think even among my circle, I think even now, even now, 
uh, and I say circle not in, not in terms of friends necessarily, but just in terms of people that I've come across in, in political scenes. Uh, I think they still hold the Hariri name as something that's, it's just, it's everyone else's fault, not his, you know? Sure, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's common. That is common. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think they, you, can, you do hear some criticism, but it's never, the, it's never enough to actually affect change. And that's why I still wonder, up until now, why it's just so difficult for a country to dislodge its president. Emil Lahoud, who you brought up earlier, presided over a massive explosion in downtown Beirut. Mm -hmm. And people were protesting him. It wasn't just protesting uh, Syria back then. They were protesting him too. And personally, yeah. And personally, yeah. He was getting a lot of, uh, there were a lot of slogans against him and they were very loud and it was very mm -hmm. clear that this man was unfit to be president. He wrote out his extended term. Yes. He stayed. That yes. violation, those three years, he stayed. And the, the suspects to blame here are not relatives. They're not even thugs. It's the mm -hmm. patriarch. Yes. The patriarch, who nominally did not support him, but put the community ahead of the country. And that's maybe taboo to say, maybe. No, but, no. But I, I think, mean, yeah, it I mean, is in Lebanon, but not it is. Yeah. yeah, it's taboo. But but I think uh, that I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to dislodge somebody who's so unfit for the occasion. Yeah. And we had years and years of no president in yes. Baabda. Yes. So that like now we have somebody who's far more destructive, who's far more negligent, who's far more. I mean, he has baggage. He has real baggage. Uh, the video of his uh, effigy being burned in downtown. I mean, people are doing things that were unthinkable, at least when it comes to him. They're willing to go further. Uh, the guy who was arrested for, for smashing his photo or taking it down. Yeah, people are coming to his rescue. People are celebrating yes. him. They're not defending Aon. Yeah, and, yeah. and so th there is something there. But at the same time, Aon is still in Bapta. Still in Bapta. Yes. That that to me is um, there's something that there's something that's so strong in Lebanon that the average individual, even if they're willing to abandon their comfort and see something bigger, they can't get there. I okay. I share the same thing that you sh that you just described. I I I'm never going to think about my grandparents or great grandparents or beyond that when it comes to what Assad did to Syria. Uh -huh. Or for that matter, what the Palestinians were doing in the 1970s in Lebanon, Arafat. Mm -hmm. I'm never going mm -hmm. to say, well, one is better than the other because it's more like me and that one's more like them. Or for that sure. matter, Jaja during the war. I'm never going to see preference or exclusive uh, demonizing because it's a religion in particular. Uh -huh. But I think, I think these kinds of thoughts are not mainstream. I think still Jaja is, is Maronite. And the Maronites determine whether or not Jaja is a criminal, not us. Yes. yes. Yeah. And Hariri is incompetent. He's incompetent. He may, you know what? He should never have been prime minister. <laughs> and he, he uh, inherited something, maybe, an, mm -hmm. maybe something that's unpopular to certain people. He inherited something, something. He inherited the February 14 assassination. Sure. And the month later, that protest, March 14. He inherited it, 
and turned it into something that is maybe popular today in certain streets in Saida, maybe. Sure. So he's definitely somebody that should not be prime minister again, right? Mm. And he did dancing with devils just to stay in power. And he did crooked deals with terrible people just to stay in power. He returned to the stage more times than anyone else I can think of, only to get thrown out again. And yet the man is still unable to say, I will never be prime minister again. He can't say it. He can't say it. I mean, he went through a literal kidnapping, came back humiliated, and then didn't care <laughs> he just continued he came at back at some point you know at, at some point uh it's it is i that's the thing is that we are assigning emotions in no, some ways but, but okay. i'll just say something it's the sunni yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the sunnis and not yeah, yeah. not not me not you not them yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the sunni community that will judge hariri's faith sure. and that's that's the curse is that ba'abda al-yom michel Aoun is the Probably the most unpopular president Lebanon has ever had, and still, yeah. still protected. And yeah. Hariri should never be prime minister again, still protected. Uh, Berri, Berri, who's probably most unpopular among his own, yes, is still protected. And yes. we can't dislodge them. I cannot go to the house, I can't go to Babda without being considered a traitor. I am, I'm, I'm not part of the equation, I'm a traitor. I can't go to the Sarai and, and be thought of as just an individual citizen protesting. That is what the protest movement was all about, was yeah. overcoming. I think yeah. you said trans-sectarian, cross-sectarian cross mobility. Cross-sectarian, right. Yeah, was, was, uh, that was the special thing. But even then, when you have a million people chanting the same slogan, the lines are drawn. And uh, I mean, one of the worst prime ministers of all time, spent seven months <laughs> seven months only to resign in humiliation again so th there's yeah, yeah I, I think these are lines that are not I want them to be crossed and I want them I want to live in a country that's not like that and yet yet that's all I'm given is that country over and over and over and over and over I, I think I, I two, I've rambled too much <laughs> no 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 I, just, I have two different um I won't be long on this. It's more like it's two parallel things that are happening in my mind, if you want, at the same time. Mm -hmm. One is what is likely to happen to the big two names in, in power. Let's say Mishraun and Nabi Berger. Mm -hmm. Not that uh, there isn't a third name like Masallah, for example, any of the others, but the two visible ones who yes. have the two yeah. symbolic seats in power, mm -hmm. the president and the, and the speaker of parliament. For me, we can't really even try and guess I know what a uh, what Hezbollah would uh, be like if you want what kind of different calculations it might have to do because we're saying it at the end of the day it's like you know there's a number of guys making certain decisions yeah uh, but like the group as a whole what it might have to uh, maybe even concede some things which is impossible to even uh, conceptualize right now if the president was not on and if the prime minister was not Nabi Berger. No, uh, sorry, the Speaker of Parliament. Speaker, yeah, right, right. Uh, the good news in some ways is that Michelin is 85 and Amiba is 82. At the end of the day, there is a ticking time clock happening. So biology is My, the good news. Biology will solve you. <laughs> honestly, like, how, how, how old was the, the what, I think it was the Algerian guy who was in his 90s? Oh, I yeah, think? yeah, yeah. Uh, Bouteflika, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Good like, guy, you know, good guy. <laughs> it's not impossible, you know, it's not impossible that uh, on continues and whatnot. I'm not saying it's impossible. Uh, at the end of the day, as you mentioned, it's not just him personally, it's what he represents to a yes. certain number of people. And yes. there's a certain amount of people in power, the patriarch maybe, some people around him, whatnot, yeah. who may even prefer a guy who's half asleep all the time in his 90s than not having anyone. It's not impossible. None of these things are impossible. Sure, sure. I'm wondering, if you want more, how much can they actually do at some point? Like the the thing about the explosion, the tot the totalitarian, the tot tot the 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 fact that it's so uh, overwhelming, so all encompassing, totality. So yeah, like it's yeah. it's also like it's more like the 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 Hiroshima like yeah. Vi yeah, yeah. visuals, if mm -hmm. you want. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's both Chernobyl in it might be Chernobyl in political sense, yeah. and it's closer to Chernobyl as a as a event anyway. Sure, but yes. that it has the additional component of looking like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yeah, and also the additional component of being so filmed because we're talking about 2020, age of social media, blah blah blah. Yeah, there is something that I I I am I know that the people in power, based on their own speeches so far, on it goes without saying, let me mm -hmm. it goes without saying, mm -hmm. even Nasrallah at this point, I think it just goes without saying, oh. uh, do not actually understand what has been unleashed last week. Mm -hmm. What they don't fully comprehend, the severity of what happened, mm -hmm. because they, I mean, I'm psychologizing here, so it, it may not be too relevant, but they have personally done worse, personally, yeah. with yeah. their own hands. Yeah. They have done worse to people, so I don't think we're dealing with a a a, a sentiment of like would they ever see any humanity in them or whatnot. If they if they were seeing any humanity, they would they would have stopped the war loading in the 80s and then stopped and then left the world, left politics, left whatever. They stuck around for a reason. They like where they are. They're comfortable where they are. They're getting. They're getting gold, cookie points. They're getting stuff. It's a lot of gifts. They're getting praise and ego boosts. And it's comfortable being where they are. Nabi Hibbert does not have to deal with us. If we come five seconds to Ayn they beat the shit out of us, which yes. is what they did. Yes. Which is what they do. Right. They live in their castles. They live in behind their walls, behind their whatever. They can be helicoptered out. They can have their uh, convoys of whatnot. Now, not as easy because of all of the protests. But mm -hmm. they, in theory, they really don't have to deal with us. They can have enough hours of their day without even asking it, have hundreds of people glorifying them and paying them tribute and saying that you're the best person in the world every single day telling, telling them this. Mm -hmm. Like, how, how much criticism do you think, do you think Nasrallah gets from his advisors, including the ones that are supposed to supposedly, you know, tell him the truth to his face or whatnot if he's doing something that might have some consequence to the party or whatnot. They don't have these. They don't exist. They are one-man parties. One-man party. Masala is one-man party. Everybody is a one-man party. The good news is that a man is not um, immortal. Is that at some point, there's going to be a crack in the system within their own system. We mentioned it last time at your own podcast as well, that if you were in a dedicated Amal supporter, you should be worried right now at the fact that your dear leader is 82 years old. Like, you should be worried about this. <laughs> and they don't seem to be calculating for the next day about this. They're just assuming that he's going to live until he's 120, and he's not. 
No he, offense to them, yeah, it's just not gonna happen. He may be he may be the one that is not replaced. And he yeah. doesn't have an heir to the throne. He doesn't have an heir. Right. And and the fact is, and I think his own I mean it's it's not a it's not a it's not a secret. Uh, he is so unpopular among his own community yes. that yes, uh, yes. they'll probably replace him with someone despicable. Uh, but that will be that secular cover for yes. Hezbollah. Could be Jamil Sayyid. It could be someone else. That 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 is a likely scenario, and that exactly. probably probably just shows just how unappealing his longevity is. That there there is yeah. not a future birri in no. parliament. No. But but I you know everything you said I I share the same sentiment, and yeah you're right. I mean they will die at some point. At some point they will die, but Lebanon may die before them if not yeah. already. It's it's the damage that they do in the meantime. That's the real world. Yeah, yeah and. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I so impressed with with how the average person can still live and suffer this much in Lebanon, mm. particularly right now. Forget resiliency. Forget that word. And I like Lena's yeah. uh, take on it. I, too. I don't. I don't yeah. like that word. Either. Yeah, yeah. And she I'm kind done, of. I'm done with that word. Right. And she she was able to flip it on its head, which was yes. quite quite creative. But just the fact that there is these. People that are suffering so much, and they're they're still able to just sort of try and 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 fix their immediate surroundings, is something that is so taxing on a population, and they're mm. they're still able to do it. My my heart is with them only. I I don't uh, you know I I don't know. I it's it's it sucks to experience this wherever you are on planet Earth. There is a difference. Uh, in the same way as my friends who had left Lebanon before October 2019, mm. that there is something that they did not experience that right. I did. Right, yes, yes. Uh, at the end of the day, there is now something that my friends who are in Beirut, you know, or whatever, that they have experienced that me and you did not. Right. And this is, it's just a fact. It's not, uh, it's not like I envy them or anything like this. It's nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, it's more think. that you, you don't, you just have, you would have a familiar uh, sound, texture, experience, how your body reacted. Yeah. That that connects you with other people who felt the same things in a much fa in a faster way in some in some ways. But the trauma just experiences itself. Uh, sorry, manifests itself in a different way. The way the way we grieve and we mourn and we try to to uh, make it work in our minds uh, in some ways for us to continue to be functional without being. You know, so just on the topic of resiliency, uh, a number of friends uh, shared this experience and they posted it on Twitter and everything that their parents, for example, you know, the father of a friend, let's say, yeah. uh, reacted so quickly in the sense that like he fixed the door quickly and, you know, all of these things. And some people would interpret this as resiliency. And, and to some to some extent it is. I'm not demeaning it. But. That's also something that's broken yes. if you're able to yes. react so quickly. You're exactly. not supposed to be able to no. react so quickly. You're <laughs> supposed true. to sit with the shit of what has just happened. And at the end of the day, you can rationalize, you can understand that a whole generation, for example, developed these tools and good on them, of course. Like, what's the alternative exactly? But that doesn't mean that the next generation should just pick up the same tools. And that doesn't mean that we should just... I feel one advantage that I generally... I have a lot of issues with all generations and whatnot. But one thing that I feel our generation is doing a bit better, and the ones that's coming after us, the one that they call Gen Zs, 
are doing even a bit better than mm. millennials, mm. for example, is really recognizing that when we're not robots, that we are very vulnerable individuals, mm. that mm. we have emotions and that is fine, yeah. that there are different ways of being masculine, for example, that is not just about being much or whatever, that, you know, all of these things, I feel like to... Uh, different extents around the world, and that's probably also an internet thing, so it gets, it gets, it travels faster, these ideas sure. travel faster. Yeah. There is a certain way of seeing that I feel does not, that there is even an even, like we are the in-betweeners, the in-between generation, between the war generation and the one that might actually be the post-war generation. Yeah, I, you're right. Actually, yes, that, that, yeah, I really hope so too. Yeah. I really hope we're the last, we're the final exactly. war generation. I just hope we're the ones who can kind of be the in-between. We translate in some ways. Of course, it may not be the case. Syria, Gen Zers in Syria are those that experience the worst part in some ways, you know, because of yeah. the, when it happened, of course. In, in Lebanon, from what I can tell, a lot of folks who are right now, for example, 16, 17, 18, 19, that, that kind of uh, age range around the time where they are, in the last years of school, maybe undergrads at universities, that, that kind of age group, um, they are dealing with the reality of the system yeah. much faster than we are because they don't even have much time left in some ways. Like they are now growing up. Now they have to start their world, their lives, yeah. as the country is collapsing. And that gives them a different kind of tension, if you want, that they can't afford in the same way to, to tell themselves the narratives and the glo to glorify a leader who for the most part are in the 70s and 80s now, who doesn't really have that, the gravitas attached to them anymore. Right. Because for the most part, they don't remember the Syrian occupation and they don't remember the Israeli occupation. And they, they don't have the same kind of lingo, if you want, a vocabulary to, to explain certain things. They wouldn't understand that a relative of mine who's now in her 60s, when I told her that um, I'm, I'm, I, it was during the fall of Aleppo and why I was being so pissed off at certain relatives that I mentioned before, yes. uh, why that was the case, she just responded, I don't care about Syria. She literally told me that. And that's because, I mean, you can rationalize it and her, 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 sorry, her house was bombed and et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't, it didn't, there was a disconnect between me and her, if you want, in that, in yeah. that sense. Because for me, Syria... There is, the, there is the government, which I've always been opposed to, even before 2011, but then there is the activists that I've met and the friends and the, you know, all of that, that is, that gives me a different opening to the world, if you want, that they don't have. And I feel that those that comes after us in some ways have even more access to these kinds of things, even faster in some ways due to social media and whatnot, which has its own risks. Like, I don't want to paint all rosy pictures. There are risks, of course. But in that specific, uh, on that specific note, I'm very interested in how the rest of us, those of us who experienced 2005, for example, or 2000, or 2006, or 2008, the really violent events of, Lebanese, of recent Lebanese history, how can we translate it much better than what our parents did with us, which for the most part was quite a failure because they did not do a good, a good job at translating for the right, most part. Yeah. But for the most part, a good job at translating what they actually went through so that we we understand what is this 
horrific shit that we just inherited that we had to do a crash course in understanding as I did in 2005, 2005, 2006, it was the crash course. It's like, you know, I could have been a bit more prepared to understand who the fuck Jaja and Alan were because I understood those in one week. You could be, a you week could, he came back and, you know. You could be excused for being 14 and, and have other concerns than Jaja was. Sure, Alan. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so the Jaja and Alan thing is just a symbolic thing because sure, in sure, my yeah. region they were the two dominant ones. Right. Yeah. And I just remember for me the stupid you know honks you know ta da 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 and those you know course, yes. and those were the ones that I, at some point they were all around me in 2005 around uh, February March April uh, May 2005 and you have because our parents would pick us up from school of course and so some of them would literally do the stupid their horn and then. Others would respond down and because that was before the the memorandum of understanding with Hezbollah, right. so they right. were not completely anti yet. They still and, had and, some tensions, but not the same way. And they were just coming back to the scene. I mean, it yes. was just in those months, right? Like our own first, and then Jaja comes out of jail, and so it's like, uh, yeah, it yeah. just felt like a wave of history just slapped yeah. me in the face, <laughs> and I suddenly had to understand who the fuck these people were and why they were such a big deal. Yeah. And it's only like in that same time period, but like even slower, that I started incorporating the warlords from the other sects, like Wadi right, Jumblat right. and yeah. Nasrallah and Berri and those guys. Yeah. And it took a while. And I don't want the next generation to take to to have to go through this. I don't want them to have to go through a decade to understand Lebanon. I don't think it is sustainable if we keep on repeating the same patterns every single time. I think that they can genuinely understand for the most part, at least the important shit that might have taken us like a decade, they may have, they could do it in a few months now. It's generally possible now to do it in a few months, at least the, so that they, they, they protect themselves ideologically, if you want, or they, they protect themselves against the sort of narratives that they would otherwise be either vulnerable uh, towards or vulnerable against, or that they may be so overwhelmed by that they end up just kind of, you know, withdrawing and, not really dealing with it because that's what a lot of people do at the end of the day. Lebanon deserves a port. Mm -hmm. Lebanon deserves an economy. Lebanon deserves a currency that's not free falling into hyperinflation. And Lebanon deserves stability. Lebanon deserves a country. <laughs> the Lebanese deserve a country. And uh, Lebanese deserve justice for what happened, um, compensation, not just financial compensation, but real compensation, where anyone involved in that situation is thrown away. And Lebanese and the country and all of us, generation, your parents' generation, grandparents, my parents, they're, all of us that are still alive, uh, we deserve some accountability for the first time. We deserve, a, we deserve to live in a country that you can actually hold people to account and not let this kind of crime just fade away like other crimes in the past. Mm -hmm. And I hope, I hope this kind of, this is what's born out of this moment. I really hope so. Um, and it's not, that wouldn't surprise me where you see images of what looks like revenge, these gallows and burning effigies, but people need to express their rage and have mm -hmm. it channeled into justice. And yes. uh, I really would like to see that. If that's, if that's the uh, consequence of this kind of moment, accountability and justice that's the first step in the right direction yeah. and who knows it's too early to tell but um, it is yeah but the, at least at least uh the average lebanese today in lebanon is aware maybe 
that doesn't matter what party you support at this time, doesn't matter. You're vulnerable just by living in a certain neighborhood yeah. or being close enough to the port. You might get killed because of all of this that happened. That That is a wake-up call, I think. Yeah. And maybe some opinions will change for the better. And um, the reason I like talking to you is because you're principled. So uh, your, your, your Twitter thread is kind of what I... I mean... Aside, so I'm going to say two things here. Your Twitter thread is one sure. thing. It's one animal. It's one beast. Sure. sure. Um, it's it's uh, it's full of information on every single global issue. I think that I can I can imagine. And you also focus in on uh, disenfranchised groups all the time. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about uh, voices involved in the Palestinian cause, whether it's uh, Hong Kong, whether it's. Um, uh, it could be some LGBTQ idea that's mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. expressed and, and mm-hmm. you're all over the place. And I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that you're not focusing only on what's happening in Lebanon. So I, I, mm-hmm. I enjoy the Twitter thread. But beyond the Twitter thread, it's your podcast. Uh, that, I mean, I, I, think, uh, I think if there's any sort of global <laughs> voice for, uh, for justice, I mean, you know, it's, it's there. And... Uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend your podcast to anyone listening or watching Thank you. Fire These Times. And 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 um, it should be said that and I've said this before to you in another episode, um, the Arab Tyrant Ma- Manual episode, which is still online, even though that podcast yeah. seems to be sort of defunct, maybe. They're not doing anything on, recently. On pause. On, it's on pause. pause. But that's where yeah. I kind of grew to appreciate your principled views because you're not leaving anyone off the hook. And uh, recently there was a post, and you retweeted it, which I loved, uh, the anti-imperialist imperialist ranking system, <laughs> and you came number one. <laughs> I came number one. Number it one came with joke. It, yeah. It, so listen, on that, just as a small parenthesis, I get a lot of those. I tend to ignore most of them. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm in a funny mood and I just comment on it. But yeah, I mean, that yeah, that's that's a mess in itself. To be honest, uh, the Arab Parent Manual is so far the only one I've got. I've, I've dealt a bit deeper into mm-hmm. it there's unfortunately since that um there's been more stuff happening so like hong kong was after that right for the most part the protests yes belarus now is obviously after that yeah there's a lot of things that have happened since then in some ways that will just add to that same argument in some ways but the good thing and what i do enjoy doing and um in some ways i've gotten good at it but it's also a coping mechanism in some ways that when I, I connect with people from Hong Kong because of the geopolitical nature of Hong Kong, uh, the, the sensitive geopolitical nature of Hong Kong and how temporally fragile it is. Right. In the sense of like, they are really facing a beast that for the most, uh, mo- most part, we can honestly barely understand. We can sort of understand it. We have some, like Iran, Hezbollah, there's some kind of thing, but... The CCP, it's really, it's a different kind of, of, of machine that is very difficult to, to compare it. There's nothing really like it in, in the Middle East. Um, that aside, I feel like there are certain connections being made. For the most part, they only start on Twitter or like mm. online. Mm. And, you know, probably most of them won't lead much other than like a curious encounter, maybe at some point, stuff like that. But I do hope that it's, there will be a point where it will become instinctive 
So the example I use is that during the October Revolution, mm. there were there, the number of uh, feminist groups that started chanting uh, yes, yes. For me, this is something that is a wide enough tent in mm-hmm. some ways as a narrative yeah. that I can include folks that I wouldn't necessarily agree with on everything necessarily. Right. But we start having these uh, points in common very fundamental ones that are non-negotiable, like individual rights, uh, freedom of speech, uh, anti-authoritarianism, very basic mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after that, I can that's the kind. Yes, you. right. Yeah. No, but you that said I can. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, you set the stage always. I think it's fairness and justice is the background to every conversation, and it comes out that yeah, I mean, it would be it would be impossible to have common agreement on on the other things that sort of make, I think, the human experience worth living. <laughs> no, but like whether it's from South America to Hong Kong and Belarus sure. or even even sure. uh, Ethiopian sort of voices. I mean, you've, you've covered a lot of ground in a podcast that you only started a few months ago. So I, In March. In March, yeah. And I, I mean, it's also fun every now and then when we kind of cross paths. And uh, sure, there's yeah, somebody yeah, that yeah. I know that I've talked to and you've talked to as well. Or you've talked to somebody, and I'm curious about. I, I may reach out to. I, I like that, and I think um, I think I hold this uh, dear that Lebanon's curse is not a Lebanese curse; that it's not a local problem. These are That's human the beings That's struggling. The yeah, and and That's we. That's the thing that I um I've gotten a bit better at doing. I used mm. to be. It used to really bother me in the sense that one of the one of the one of the many problems, of course, of Lebanon is that we generally do feel isolated. Right. Yeah. It's a geographical thing, the yes. fact that the only two neighbors are states that are not exactly on friendly terms, obviously. And, it's, and then there's it's the sea. Politi- <laughs> and then there's the sea. Yeah. But then it's a political thing. Like, you know, the sea links us to what? To Cyprus, that's already the EU, the Schengen borders and everything. And then yeah. you have Turkey, obviously, on, on the northern side. And you, the internet is allowing certain connections to be made that, in theory can sort of, if not transcend them fully, mm-hmm. but like soften the blow of feeling that you're really alone, that nothing matters. The, I cannot tell you the response I got when just uh, we were like four people. We wrote this statement, just calling, very simple statement, calling uh, on the Hong Kong government, which is basically a proxy of the Chinese Communist Party, yeah. to release the, the, the protesters who were being detained. A friend of mine translated it to to uh, traditional Chinese characters so that both uh, so because Hong Kongers can can read it, yeah. and it went viral. It got like a hundred thousand views in a day. It 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 went really viral, and yeah. all of it was just people saying, "Thank you, this means a lot," and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I didn't do anything. Right, right. I just wrote four <laughs> paragraphs saying, uh, "We are protesters from Lebanon." Going through, I don't know what this, I don't remember. It's on, it's on hamasfotod.com for, mm-hmm. for those who want to read it. It's very simple stuff. And my, my point is always the, the fact that if we start seeing on the streets of Ethiopia to Hong Kong to Belarus to Chile to whatever, like there's going to be more, like 2020 is the beginning. It's yeah. 2019, 2020. Like honestly, with the world, the, the way the world is, the, the fallback of COVID 19. The, there's going to be a lot of political economic instabilities in the world. Like it's sure. it's Let it alone be ridiculous to to not New York has that. New York has been exactly a story on its own. And, yeah, 
I saw people from Portland because Portland is obviously yes. kind of at the forefront of this. Yeah. Also, kind of send their solidarities to Lebanon, and there was this yeah. Yeah. because you know Portland apparently is called Little Beirut by yeah. some people. I did not, I did not know this. I learned this recently, which is hilarious because Beirut is so little already. It's just amazing. My one trip and, there, my one trip to Portland. I, I mean, yeah. I know it's irrelevant to what's happening now, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think the name. I don't know where it comes from exactly. I'm not sure if it's just conflict. There's a Lebanese community there. And there, there, are, there, yeah, there yeah 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 no, i was surprised too i'm like what the hell are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like just it's just it's i i first started it on more of a necessity not really knowing where it would lead by my own nature in some ways due to my mixed identities and whatnot i did have yeah. bigger uh, or wider networks available to me when i wanted to do, i was working with global voices for as a volunteer and then as their uh, Middle East and North African editor. Mm. And that just gave me connections to someone from Uganda, someone from Russia, just like this, super, super quick. And that allowed me to just um, make these connections a bit easier in some ways without Mm. really, at some point it just became normal, it's like in nature and and somehow. Until 2019, when I started really feeling that there's something there, like actual, political potential there that is not being explored mm. because for mm. the most part it doesn't lead to anything for the most part it is symbolic it might make some people feel better if they go that far yeah. but for the most part political movements tend to be reaction They're not reactionary which is a political term but like they react to um to a certain situation they react to economic crisis and uh, we tend to not create something we tend to react to something and this is something that I'm trying to experiment with in a, in a way until we start seeing organically on the streets of Minsk in Belarus, of, mm. in, on the streets of Hong Kong, in Taipei, in Taiwan, uh, I don't know, Addis Ababa, whatever, connections being made in which they themselves organically, without anyone saying, please do this, start sending half signs, we stand with the people of mm-hmm. Hong Kong, mm-hmm. yeah. without having to go through the permission of the global capitals first, like the Western capitals first validating these struggles, just skipping all of that. <laughs> if they want to join, ahla wa sahla, but we don't need their permission, essentially. Yeah. And just having more of that, just having more of that is what I'm trying to get at, really. Minsk in Belarus is a very local story. The Belarusian yes. people have been suffering under their dictatorship that, uh-huh. that anyone else outside of Belarus would have very little understanding. It's a, it's a painful experience. They've suffered, they're the European country that stayed sort of locked following yes. the end of the Cold War. And it's a toxic environment. You get, you get suffocated immediately if you try to express something to the contrary. And they are going through their struggle right now, happening right now. And it's going to always remain a local story. Lebanon's yes. is permanently local, no matter what attention it gets, whether it's Thomas Friedman today, and I saw you sort of reference that piece in a, yeah, in a I'm, I'm ignoring it. <laughs> you I'm, ignore I'm, it. I'm pretending that it doesn't exist. But like voices like that, that come from sort of away from Lebanon, that try to, that try to maybe bring these stories together, it's very difficult and oftentimes doesn't resonate. doesn't resonate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At the same time, uh, shared emotion and shared pain uh, these are not local experiences, and no. the, the internet has allowed us now to identify with the pain of a Belarusian woman risking her mm. life, standing up to two monsters, really, her own yes, dictator yes. and Putin. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what encourages the average person at home who's going through their own 
struggle to look at their monsters and say if they can do it we can do that too it's not it's not these are not uh, and, and these, these are connections yeah. can be made faster if we build the ground for them to be made more organically so like yeah. once upon a time it was a bit easier for the average Beiruti to know what's happening in Cairo or Damascus. Mm -hmm. Long story short, that started cut, started being divided. At some point, we all know the story. But this was a primarily pan-Arab Arab mm -hmm. majority area thing. And, you know, there's always value to that. I'm not saying throw it out of the window completely, but I just don't think it's enough. I just don't think it's enough to only have connection with other Arab countries, even if, you know, at the moment it's not so good, to be honest. But like, you know, I don't think it's enough. I think that there should yeah. be beyond ethnicities or languages. Or sure, whatnot, sure. Just I, fundamental values that are shared that yeah. can then be negotiated, changed. I'm not saying everyone has to believe the same thing. Sure. They're never going to happen. But just, yeah, to have a uh, more flexible global network and more resilient global network, a community resiliency that is actually cross-border, across sure. borders, yeah. that allows, like, when Beirut happened, I had more messages from friends in Hong Kong than, honestly, many, no, that's not true. There are obviously more Lebanese who message me, there's just more Lebanese that I know. But disproportionately <laughs> more Hong Kongers, yeah. if you want, proportionately to how many of them I know, if you, want, right. if you see what I mean. But, but there's also, yeah. these connections. But, but then, then again, also, something that happened not too long ago, it's a few months, George Floyd, yes. and suddenly we at home, Lebanon and the region, were thinking through our own prejudice. Uh -huh. And we're saying it out loud that we are part of this problem too. Uh -huh. And then things that are already happening in the background are even more exposed. It's the Kafada system, these flights that uh, Bangladeshi sort of uh, woman, yes, not, uh, yeah, sorry, not Bangladesh, uh, Ghanaian woman, yes, yes, sort yes, of yes. celebrating on the plane, we identify with them. We're like, yes, you, you deserve so much better than what we did. Yes, yes, so yes, much yes, better. We, we, and that's, that's the kind of self-reflection born, I think, out of shared pain. And, yes. and uh, the Bangladeshi ship that arrived. People are, yes. we, we're almost humbled by that. That it's like, uh, look at what we did. And at the same time, they're helping us. And I think, I think there's this, um, there's some strength in maybe acceptance and a protester in, in, in wherever, in New York, let's say, or not, forget New York, anywhere in the U.S. that sees a Syrian boy doing graffiti of George Floyd in a broken mm. home, I think sees Islam. that. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're suffering too. And we should be, be more thoughtful about their suffering as well. And in Idlib, they're also even identifying with the pain across the world. I think that shared experience is, is very mm -hmm. special. It's very special. And if, and if it does lay the foundation for actual change, all the better. All the better, and then we'll have Joey Au, the the new uh, uh, king of the internet castle, <laughs> the whatever that means, king of the anti-imperialist imperialists. I don't know what the anti-anti-imperialist. The anti, -anti, -imperialist. That's the anti yes, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know why they they, they just they didn't just they didn't just say imperialist if that's what they were getting at. I think but, I think uh, yeah, yeah, double negative doesn't really uh, doesn't work no, in that sense. But it's a, list, it's a good list. It's a good list. I actually like most of those people anyway. So it's like ah. That's my crowd. <laughs> no, you're you're very kind, Joey. I always appreciate talking to you. This is one of the longer episodes that I that I, I I'm I'm happy. We spoke over two hours. We'll speak yeah. again. And um, yeah, I uh, all I can say is I hope for the best. There's not really much else. Either. I hope for the best. Yeah. I will. I always also part of me always prepares for 
the worst. Although honestly, the worst. Some, some. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, feels that the worst was last week, but we don't know for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's a great. There's, we've said this last time as well. There is a incredible potential in Lebanon, in Beirut, and Lebanon more broadly, that has been squandered for so long because of who is in power. I do genuinely believe that it is possible to create something better. And I believe that what the Beirut, the Beirut that I envision, in some ways, it's not just a Beirut that's even for the Lebanese. It's a Beirut that's for everyone who lives there. Yes. It's for all the Syrians, the Ethiopians, the Sri Lankans who really genuinely feel they're part of the community there because they've been there for so long. Many of them speak Lebanese Arabic, you know, whatever. Yeah. It gets to a point where in the same way as, in theory, one can become a New Yorker, one can become a Londoner, right. I genuinely believe that one can become a Beirut. I've always genuinely believed this, but I never really had the vocabulary to express it in, mm. in, a, in, a, in a more rational way. Mm. Now it's very visual, because when people tell me, what do you mean? I tell them, I mean the Syrians and the Ethiopians and the Ghanians and the Kenyans who went to the streets on their own volition to help clean up the damage that they did not do. And so, they did not have to clean. They so, had no obligation to do anything that they did, but they did it anyway. So and I are, think we should yeah. pause and reflect on these things as well. These are heroes. These are yes. heroes. There's a video, I think, of a, of a baby or a toddler on the balcony, and then like a woman goes and grabs her, right? Is, as, yeah. And I mean, they, these, are, these are genuine heroes. And I, you know what? I think that's the true definition of a cosmopolitan city, is when everyone is embraced, everyone across the board. Joey. It becomes a residency-based identity, which well, I'm there. hoping to get at, <laughs> at some point. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> one day, one day. One day, one day. In the meantime, um, yeah, uh, keep doing what you do, and uh, you we'll, we'll speak soon. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.